The Red 78. Once we were back, we were back for a period That was when the televisions were in black and white, Quinn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, big buttons and no remote. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Okay, we were unbelievably busy show for you, but uh, we want to start. You, you may as well start with this, Shane. Yeah, Damien Brown, um, a man I've been following on on Instagram. A lot of people are probably watching and listening will have, will have followed him. Old Stock, I think he is on on Instagram. But one a.m. Irish time this morning, after two thousand six hundred and eighty-six hours at sea, three thousand four hundred and fifty nautical miles, first person in history to row from New York to Galway. His uh, his boat, Cushla McCree. Like to row from New York to Galway. It's mad. Following on, on on Instagram, even in the, like maybe four or five days ago, he was he was very concerned because the the winds were pushing him south, and he the Blasket Islands were behind him, and he said he could have rowed into Dingle, and and that was the end of it. But uh, symbolically, he wanted to get into Galway, obviously. Um, and and I mean, this is for people who don't realise he's he's a former rugby player as well. I think he had an Irish under twenty one cap, but played for Connacht and maybe Leinster as well, and Breve and Oyana over in France. Um, but he's an absolute inspiration. Like uh, to, to spend sixteen weeks, hundred and twelve days at sea. So the, the plan was two of them were going to do it, right? Yeah, originally, originally speaking, I think. And I'd um, say like a minute into it, yeah. the other guy got injured and yeah. couldn't had so he had to go and do it on his own. Complete change of plan. Um, and, and like if you follow, if, you, if anyone who sees him on Instagram and or follows his his, uh, his podcast as well will know that there's been ups and downs and days where he's on the on the camera crying and days where he's absolutely buzzing, days where there's dolphins around him, he's watching the sunset, he loses something in the middle of the night to the ocean. Because um, you can just wake up having rowed your your arse off all day long, and you can wake up and you can be further away, way further away, yeah. and you're like, this is so. It must be so. It must be. It'll break your spirit. Something like that. No but detail left unpublished in the uh, on Instagram or whatever. Yeah, the, yeah. You know every every question you might have. How does how does that work? It's like, well, I'll, I'll tell you. Let yeah. me tell you how it works. Unbelievable. I want actually. My da- my dad was unfamiliar with this story until I showed him a couple of the videos a couple of days ago because I was like, this guy's coming into Galway. He's he's been rowing for hundred. I thought he wasn't getting into like half ten or half twelve this yeah, morning. So what I was reading, <coughs> I actually thought the exact same. Um, and and he has. His homecoming in Galway Docks is to go ahead as planned this morning at 11am. So if anyone around Galway wants to welcome him into Galway Docks, please do. Because, I mean, what he's done over the last uh, number of while, uh, he didn't make it to the port of Galway. He's now reunited with, with his family. It says he's in good spirits, looking forward to celebrating at 11am in Galway Docks. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people present, I'd, I'd imagine, in Galway to, to welcome him in. But I, I can't even begin to uh, imagine what he's gone through um, physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, he's he's probably a man that's inspired me even without even thinking about it. I, I didn't like cause so tell us about that because that, that was the bit that go on because because I followed him I followed him on Instagram for for a number of years and listened to to a lot of his podcasts and uh, like I seen that he's he, you know he's tried to climb a, a number of the seven summits I think he tried to climb Everest a couple of years ago and and the, because of the weather uh, failed but no doubt he'll go back and, and do that a, another time but he's climbed Kilimanjaro and he's climbed a lot of the, the seven summits and watching him kind of made probably got me inadvertently into that whole mountaineering slash adventuring uh, sphere um, and it's also just the like when you look at the photographs of him when he started in New York and the uh, the, the size of the man's beard now that he's uh, had, had you know weeks at sea um, months months at sea sorry it, it, just um, an incredible achievement and some, I'm probably not the only person that's been, been inspired by him and there's probably a lot of people across Ireland that, that probably have picked up even going for walks going for runs going to the gym you know, almost rationalising into that. If he can do that, 
why can't I get up off my hole and do this? Do you know, and it don't, you don't have to be someone who climbs Kilimanjaro or Everest or rows across the Atlantic, but um, watching what, what he has done probably has inspired so many people, myself included. So fair play, Damien Brown, for what you're after achieving. It is, it is remarkable. You could see as well yesterday on the Instagram that um, there were normal ferries kind of passing him and <clears throat> knew who he was. And I, I can only imagine how he must have felt about like, oh, human contact, oh. actual real humans, as opposed to like at the end. So, he would send stuff back by um, satellite and have to stand out perched on the edge of the boat <laughs> as the boat was going up and down keeping it still for half an hour to send back the file yeah. of the audio and video that he rec- recorded so it's funny because the, the, the videos we see on, on Instagram ordinarily is just obviously him in selfie mode talking to the camera so we don't actually get to see the because obviously you can't row and talk much so we don't get to see the, the arduousness of it the whole That's the ridiculousness thing, right? <clears throat> when you saw that video of the yeah. people going past you're like holy crap he's actually he's rowing yeah, he's full on <laughs> rowing across yeah, and that's a very, very interesting point. You totally forget that he's rowing when he's like, he's not rowing when he's talking to you, but when yeah, you see yeah. him rowing, you're like, oh, that, that's what it looks like. That's what it, that, that looks pretty hard. Because yeah. if you actually try to row, if you go to the gym and go onto the rowing machine for 60 seconds or even two minutes, I mean, you'll be bollocksed. You will. Like, no matter how fit you are. And, and it's a tough discipline. So to see him in the, in the, in the water, and there was even at one point, I think, where he, where he kind of surfed one of the waves. He's got so good at rowing now that he's, there was, he saw one of the waves coming, so he quickly rows, lets down the oars and just surfs kind of the wave maybe 30, 40, 50 metres in to kind of save some energy. Um, But just to see, yeah, the human contact was amazing. I think he described it in an Instagram post yesterday where he saw a boat kind of coming towards him and assumed that these were people who knew his story. But but in the end, it was just four, four heads who uh, happened to, to come across him didn't know his story whatsoever and uh, I think they offered him a whiskey or something but he, but he turned it down he wanted to savour that moment in Galway but they all had a whiskey for him and uh, they all shared a few biscuits and digestives I think and what? I John, mean what John, a moment John Claffey in our comments says and he can't swim what a man saw that I saw that somewhere now I, I've seen video there have been videos of him in the water during the trip to, to kind of take barnacles and stuff off the bottom of the boat um, but yeah obviously that's him just treading water but I, I have heard that as well that he actually can't swim to, to row across the Atlantic solo is just ridiculous when you can't swim. <laughs> not that uh, it's not madness in the first place to even think about rowing across the Atlantic. Yeah, um, yeah. But like, if there was two of them, you kind of feel like, okay, you can see how that might work. But, yeah. Um, it's, one of the most, it's one of the most incredible achievements I've seen in recent years. Um, I, I don't want to downplay it whatsoever because it's just... And it's, I, I know I've been invested in his story and kind of following him and it becomes a big deal as he gets closer and closer to Ireland and... But it's because there's so many downs, and you think, yeah, actually, for a while, you're not, he's not going to make this. He's not going to make it. And even when you're seeing him getting pushed south in the last couple of days, you're thinking, he's going to, he's going to have to come into Dingle, and it's not going to mean as much to him. And I mean, that was still okay. Fair enough. You're right. It it's not. That's not what he said actually. But it should still. It like it, anyway. Yeah, he didn't. He's gone, he's in Galway. He's home. He's unbelievable. <clears throat> um, I know he did did the Atlantic race a few years ago, where he, where he went from I think the Canaries to Antigua. Um, and that was an, a massive achievement for him as well and the emotion of the tri- Irish tricolour and the cr- tears and hugging his family when he got off the, the boat but this this means more I think he, he's done this from New York to Galway and I remember the first Instagram images as he started off as well you had the Manhattan skyline behind him in the background and him smiling in the boat and you're thinking that's a long way to Galway I mean even when you fly from New York to, to Ireland it's ridiculous so to do it in a boat and to row by yourself yeah. uh, fair play Damien Brown we'll have to get him into the studio when he, when he calms down and rests for a bit Michael John Harris says couldn't agree more on Damien Brown inspiration is overused but he is what an achievement get him on the show if you can lads says Michael um, what about them 49ers asks David Tomney I hate to say uh, 85 Bears but I'm saying it right now from a defence perspective if only the offence wasn't such a turkey but anyway they, they improved last night they absolutely 
Um, absolutely whooped the Rams. So maybe I was wrong about the Rams beating the Seahawks in They're that excited. match that somebody's gone to. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm refusing to believe just yet. Eagles fans are getting excited. Eagles fans should be getting excited. 4-0. Um, I mean, very, very dynamic young QB really swarming defence the, the neutral kind of wants to see the Buffalo ah, this is going to sound terrible uh, the Buffalo Bills get to their Super Bowl and, and lose again oh. <laughs> I hate to say it clip uh, that can we just clip that in the Bills Mafia well I th- I'd imagine in American culture it's probably similar to to Mayo you know we all a lot of people want Mayo to get over that line so, just so they can stop talking about the 50s do but, we? well th- this is the other side of it we want them to get to a final and then lose some people I'm not saying it's me. a better story it's a better story um, and I feel like the Buffalo Bills in America and culture is probably similar so many of the, the great institutions in Irish life have fallen apart but Mayo failing to win in Ireland that's still there you can take that to the bank yeah yeah it's true. important that in this time of vast global change that something is static and Mayo are the trustworthy yeah, yeah 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 trustworthy at least we know something something I'm only joking I, don't, I want those Mayo footballers yeah, I, want, yeah. I want all of them to win and all Ireland I want them if their fans could somehow be separated and, and not allowed <coughs> excuse me I know uh, no, there's a man from Monaghan uh, I always meet him round town for coffee he's, uh, Sean Monaghan is his name and he's, uh, he is as, as Mayo to the bone as you could possibly get he's from Lewisburg uh, for people like that I kind of want them to do it and for the players as well yes I get that there's an element of the Mayo support that um some people like to see lose, but uh, for 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 a lot of the Mayo people I know who are good people, good football people who have who've gone through so much pain and torture over the last players, yeah, the, you know the players certainly have. Um, so yeah, Mayo, Buffalo Bills. I mean, they've they've been alive. They've I, I, this is like if the only thing that ever matters is winning, then that's nonsense. But the Mayo supporters have been on like they've oh, been absolutely thrilled by hundred percent one of the best teams of all time. Uh, beating them in finals and uh, you know they're like Kenny Kenny's always the backdrop to these amazing goals he's there for Beckham he's there for Tony Yaboy he's there for Paulo De Canio it's like you know <laughs> yeah. they were the same I don't think that's any consolation to, to Mayo particularly but no as a Monaghan fan I'd love to have experienced what Mayo fans have got to experience um, not the torture or the heartbreak but the, the All-Ireland Finals and the, the hope which is the hope that kills you but the build up to All-Ireland Finals must be um, you know it's not something I've ever had the Joy of experiencing. I think Monaghan's last Ireland final was in the thirties against Kerry. But he, he, whatever. Anyway, look, we'll come back to we have a, we have a whole uh, eighteen months of this before uh, the to, Super Bowl to yeah. talk about. Yeah, yeah. At seven forty one this morning. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Here's what's coming up between now and ten o'clock. Um, Mike Sherry's going to join us for the first of our depth charts. We're talking about the front row. It's all World Cup build up now, right? I mean, that, like. We've been shouting on about the World Cup for three years, but finally it's officially the World Cup season. I mean, it's not really. There's obviously the, there's a tiny little sliver of off-season next year, but um, uh, Michal Martin, not the Taoiseach, the uh, Wexford County Board Chairman is going to join us to talk to us about what Wexford GA are doing to combat the recent attacks on referees. Um, they're being proactive about that. Barry Hearn is going to join us. Plenty to talk to Barry Hearn about. Uh, the Anthony Joshua Tyson Fury fight appears to be off off but it was off off last week and then it was back on so we'll see obviously yeah, Ben Eubank the kids are fighting this weekend he would have been centrally involved in the original uh, two fights between Ben and Eubank and there's loads more including uh, Katie Taylor's future and whether or not she might fight in Dublin uh, the, things have changed in Ireland it now might be possible to put a fight on uh, sports pages at 10 past 9 and loads more coming your way as well on the show this morning we'd love to hear from you if you want to get in touch uh, please do um, we want to talk now about uh, Matt Doherty who when there was a red card at the weekend my first reaction 
was, oh, great, the, the right back's been sent off. It's good. It's Matt Doherty time. Who else could they turn to? Antonio Conte does not think that it's uh, Matt Doherty time. At least, this is what he's saying publicly, right? So this is Antonio Conte, head of the press conference, in the press conference, head of the game against Eintracht Frankfurt in the Champions League tonight. Have a listen. Also, Doherty, Doherty last season played every game. And uh, now I'm not seeing him in a... In, in the right way to to start to start the game. I'm not stupid. Yeah, I don't. I'm not stupid. I'm not seeing him in the right way to start. I'd love to. I'd love to be able to give Antonio Conte some benefit of the doubt here in terms of English not being his first language. But it's quite clear. Like for a manager to say, you know, I want to win games. Like I'm not. I'm not going to start him. I'm not stupid. Essentially. Is um, I mean, th- and the thing is as well, Matt Doherty wasn't the question. It wasn't the question posed to Conte. I think he was on a bit of a uh, rant, might be a strong word, but he was certainly venting. Um, and we know he's not going to be happy after losing in North London derby. No, no manager ever would be. But uh, Doherty was kind of brought up almost by himself. So it wasn't like uh, there was an Irish journalist or another journalist there who kind of asked the question. Um, so yeah, Doherty must be feeling a little bit... Now, maybe Matt Doherty's... There are certain types of players who need that kick up the ass from their manager. There are certain types of players that will take that very personally and hide into themselves when they hear that. I don't know what type Matt Doherty is, um, but I certainly wouldn't wouldn't be hearing hearing that from your manager um, at club level who you have to meet and see every single day. Well, you know, you've got a, you've got a choice. Doherty's not young. He can nope. take it. He's the setbacks in his life. Well, that's it too, yeah. And he did bounce back from like being frozen out when Conte arrived to getting in the team and playing really well. Yeah. So, do it again. He, he's had, and it's, look, in the last international window, probably he wasn't one of Ireland's better players, let's say. He didn't, he didn't, have, he didn't cover himself in glory, maybe in the Armenia game. Um, that's not to say he played badly. He just didn't stand out maybe as much as Robbie Brady on the other flank. Um but but just a bizarre a bizarre thing for Conte to come out with I think I mean he's it's, it's not ideal it's not ideal no it, know, would, it wouldn't be and I know it is probably, the tough love that you kind of have come to expect from Antonio Conte behind closed doors yeah yeah it's, it's just that um, he said the quiet bit out loud well the the age thing is probably a good point because when when was it Mourinho said was talking about Troy Parrott and there was a few kind of almost uh, things pointed in his direction as well but Troy Parrott was young at that point he was probably 17 or 18 still is young but uh, Matt Doherty maybe yeah he, he's probably of the age where he can take it um, and he's more experienced as you say So, well look I mean from an Ireland perspective it either means <clears throat> they're going to get rid of him or he's going to start playing so yeah ideally he'd um, he'd start playing and I don't know I mean it's only it's only is it going to be three games for Emerson Royal so yeah um, maybe it's not enough to re-establish himself in the team. Anyway, Danny Max says, oh, can't I saw him against Scotland defending? Hey! Or lack thereof. Uh, reads the comment on YouTube for us this morning. The other thing is, Kieran Donnelly has come out to absolutely rubbish rumours that himself and Paul Galvin were taken over in a dream team scenario for Ross Common. Um, this was from the uh, Connacht Telegraph, uh, who had the story last night. And uh, Donnelly, I'm just going to try and find the exact quote here so I don't um, get it wrong uh, yeah, he wasn't uh, happy he wasn't happy no uh, absolute rubbish I did not speak to one single person associated with Roscommon GA. what has happened to fact checking a story these days emoji face kind of eye roll my face with rolling eyes is what it's officially called whatsapp rumours are a scary thing hashtag lazy journalism hashtag mad stuff yeah I was getting texts from a couple of people from Roscommon I know last night <clears throat> um, 
is this true? And I was like, I don't know. Can I telegraph have it? It looks fairly legit. And then literally within half an hour, you're hearing, okay, I don't, I don't think this is, has legs. And then you then you see Donnie's tweet and you're like, whoa, this is, um, yeah, it, it's fairly, I mean, fair play to Kieran for coming straight out and, and denying it because this could have gone on for a couple of days and people were like, oh, yeah, Donnie's going to be the new manager. Russ Common, get Paul Galvin's involved. I um, mean, it's, it's a dream team scenario. Oh, <laughs> it's brilliant. I'd be yeah. like, wow, that would be amazing. But look, I understand that, um, you know, Unfinished business, whatever. But would have been a huge. Can point. we can we uh, can we dream a little bit about? Because I'd be very excited. I'm dying to see what Donahue's career as a, a coach like. Um, I just think he's going to be brilliant. I just think yeah. that, like he has he has a really deep understanding of what he's trying to get teams to do, and having been somebody who's had the career that he's had, I think will will communicate really well with players who aren't putting in the effort mm. as well as he's not going to be the Roy Keane who's like just just do it Yeah, he's going to technically explain how you do it why you need to do it the work you need to put in to get there <clears throat> the sacrifice you need to make and that little bit of nasty edge you need if you're going to make it Yeah, you know like uh, that was my first reaction when I saw it was this is if true a big blow for Armagh I mean a massive blow for Armagh um, it struck me as maybe a bit strange. I was like, "Geez, I haven't heard anything about this. This is out of nowhere." Because Pat Flanagan's name was mentioned with Russ Common for for ages, for weeks, um, and it's the it's now the job along with Donegal uh, that that have just rumbled on far too long. It sounds like Donegal are going to have Rory Cavanaugh maybe to take over once the unions are, are out of the. I think they play Niamh Con- Connell this weekend to beat Kilcar last weekend, so he didn't deny it in his post-match interview Rory Kavanagh but they're the two counties Donegal and Roscommon that just need to sweep this up quickly but now the problem is Roscommon fans uh, expectations are now at Donaghy Galvin levels so no matter who takes over now <laughs> uh, is on to a loser I'd say whoever is actually discussing this job right now with Roscommon and uh, getting close to the job is thinking oh, for Jesus sake a little bit did of like what? what yeah what? did you have to bring this up I met the conspiracy <clears throat> theorist in me Jer is, is thinking kind of telegraph based in Mayo Oh, this a shithousery head of next eight. year's kind of championship there's a lot of shithousery going on at the moment with uh, regards to GA rumours all that um, <laughs> the JP stuff in, in Limerick was was it just set up by was it just started by one temporary guy on <laughs> yeah. Twitter well was that where is that, I mean <clears throat> see people are so desperate for news now within counties that they, they see something on Twitter and they just go for it they just go for it because of the split season yeah, yeah, well, yeah one yeah. of the un- lot of in- unintended consequences is you're going to get a load of shit talked yeah, in the off season from, from lads who have never down the club in their lives yeah there's other WhatsApp or, or uh, sorry Twitter rumours last night linking Jason Sherlock to the Ross Common job which I find fascinating but um, again Twitter rumours not putting any weight on them but uh, Sherlock of course was, was very close to very close to taking the Monaghan job but, and then pulled out of the running but uh, this silly season of GM managerial merry-go-rounds has me uh, I actually love it I think it's great and um, yeah to see the, the Donahue stuff last night I'm glad I'm glad it was quashed quickly uh, for Kieran I would have liked a couple of days of speculating about it would've that would have nice. been that yeah. would have been you know as, uh, as the uh, inter-county off-season is in full throw um, interesting 40 minutes for us common fans exactly. that, that's pretty much all it lasted for exactly uh, Bobby Dwyer says I'm looking forward to watching this generational Arsenal team in the Champions League this evening he is of course a Spurs fan so I suspect you're not really looking forward to it but uh, you know um, uh, Shifty Lad says I followed Damien for a long day now and he must be freakishly strong he was training late at night before the starting pushing sledges etc but his voice and the way he talks is very gentle so um yeah, there's a bit of a there's a bit of an orator about him, uh, a philosophical brain as well. I think that's what makes the podcast and the 
the the Instagram video is so fascinating as well. He's got a he's got a great voice and a great attitude, and he's patriotic. And he, he wanted symbolically to get into Galway, um, and any challenge that that kind of befell him, and plenty did over the 112 odd days. He just he just rode that wave, if you'll excuse the pun. He just he's he's a really really intrepid guy, a really um, obviously a physically strong human being, but more more so uh, just a mentally tough individual like no matter what was thrown at him he was able to yeah but who at every stage would say I'm not feeling it right now yeah and would address the fact that like um, this is a struggle and I'm really struggling and talking about that I think is the bit where there was no filter over the whole thing and it's where the strength comes from yeah yeah he was was fully open and and, and he wasn't it wasn't an Instagram job of 112 days it was fully this is the human this is what humans look like doing this. This is how you poo at sea when there's no one to... <laughs> I have to put an anchor down for yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Um, can't, okay, oh, we've done all that. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, 087-918-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can always uh, leave a comment on the YouTube stream as well. Now, uh, Kathleen McNamee is with us. We're talking about the Republic of Ireland and the... Um, latest injury crisis that has befallen us so it's what are we 10, 12, 14 days out from the Ireland game against an as yet unknown opponent either Scotland or Austria yeah it's not looking good we lost Jessu over the weekend she was stretchered off during the County Cup game West Ham against London City Lionesses Hopefully, there's been no word yet how bad the injury actually is. They did say it was a knee injury, which generally when you hear that in women's football, that's not a good sign. That means you're out for quite a few months. Um, but yeah, just another player to lose. I mean, we've already lost Rusha Liljohn, Megan Connolly, Leanne Kiernan, Ellen Malloy. Just all these names that you were quite familiar with from the starting team, and it's not exactly the sort of preparation that Vera Powell want going into camp. I think they're heading in today, and they've a few like warm-up games ahead of the match, and then they'll watch the playoff together on Thursday, and then our match will start at the proper prep once we know who we're facing. We still haven't got a, a kickoff time yet for that game because if it's going to be in Scotland, it'll be a different kickoff time from. Um if it's going to be in Austria and it's the same night that Celtic are playing in the Champions League so I mean Hampden Park will be pretty empty will it? Or will they will they manage to get a good crowd on the night of a Champions League game kicking off at the same time? No I think it's going to be pretty empty I, like, I didn't really expect that massive a crowd at this game anyways just considering how late it's all going to be in terms of finding out who you're playing where you're playing whether it's in Austria or whether it's in Scotland it's not going to be exactly the sort of atmosphere you'd want for this sort of World Cup playoff and it makes the whole process seem even sillier that you know you would have it so close together because it's such a good opportunity to have a crowd I mean you could imagine if it was Ireland Scotland we knew it was coming even a month or two in advance there'd be loads of people who'd like happily bop over to Hampton Park and I mean we saw the atmosphere that there was when Nathan was there a couple of weeks ago you know it it's a great place to go. It would have been a great event and a great night, but it's just a bit of a shame that it's all been so rushed. If that's where we end up going. We could also end up in Austria. Who knows? <laughs> I feel like the closer it gets, and I was reading um, the, the match day notes from the Ireland-Armenia game there before the game. Jonathan Hill, the FAI CEO, was kind of pointing out how important it was from an inspiration point of view for the 21s and the women's team. He was wishing them the best of luck, basically, to get to major tournaments and how big an impact. Now, obviously, the 21s sadly couldn't, couldn't achieve it, but if the, this women's team can get to a major tournament the impact it's going to have for, for young girls and young boys in the country but to see them at a major tournament um, it would be so disappointing to get this close and not get over the line but 
um, yeah, it's it. Th- there's a lot more nerves the closer this game gets. I think, Kathleen. Absolutely, and like you know, I obviously listen to the show every morning, and we spent most of last week talking about Stephen Kenny and what we wanted this team to achieve, and how much faith we've put into the men's side, and how great it would be to actually make a tournament with them because everyone's rooting for them. And Adrian did a really great piece on Friday talking about you know the age his kids are at and the fact that it doesn't really matter what team it is. If someone goes to a major tournament, they're at the stage where they're ready to jump on that bandwagon and they're ready to just have a bit of fun. And I think, like we've seen that time and time again in Ireland when it comes to sports teams who do well, you know, it doesn't matter if you've never watched hockey or rugby or football or whatever it is. We're the sort of nation that we see a team doing well and we're like, yeah, let's go. Let's have some fun and enjoy it. So I think it will be really important. And I think it's really important for the development of this squad in particular. You know, they've been through so much over the last few years from you know, the days of Liberty Hall to not qualifying for the Euros to now, like, being on buses, being on billboards. Everyone knows their names. It's not... Like, people know names like Jessu or Megan Connolly or Risha Littlejohn. They don't just know the Katie McCabe's and the Denise O'Sullivan's. So I don't want to say there's... A, everything is riding on this, but I just think it's the perfect moment yeah. for the wave to crest and for them to go to that major tournament and us to all go along with it and have like a great time in general. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a big, 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 big generational moment opportunity. Now, here's the thing. Uh, the Euros, almost certainly they will qualify for because they're definitely in the top number of teams who will qualify in Europe for the Euros. So it's coming but it would just be good if they could accelerate that process and some of those players are at the peak of their powers at the moment and um, you know uh, anyway. I don't think I can take seeing Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan that disappointed again if they don't make <laughs> it to another major tournament. But Denise O'Sullivan sitting on the pitch after we didn't qualify for the Euros for about an hour afterwards, just kind of looking around her, tears in her eyes will live with me for the rest of my life. So, Well, hopefully she's using that now to... Um to brood and will unleash hell on Scotland slash Austria in um, in is it, it's two weeks tomorrow is it uh, it's Wednesday or is it Tuesday it's the eleventh isn't it uh, that that'll be a week today yeah it's last a week yeah closing in right it's close yeah so it's the Scotland game is Thursday and then ours is, I thought there was ten days between them no or a week between them it's it's the following Tuesday oh maybe I've missed my timings. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get that for you. Um, uh, again, that's the situation with regards to that. So who fills in for Jess uh, I reckon there'll probably be a bit of a shift around in the team. So I think they'll probably possibly have to push Heather Payne out onto the wings, bring someone up front. Depends on who you want to do. And then maybe play Jamie Finn Morris centre mid rather than out in the wings where she has been the last while. Uh, so it will take a bit of... Like, there definitely are the players in the team. It's just going to take a little bit of a tinkering around with how we play. Uh, and we know Vera doesn't really like doing that. She tends to stick with the same teams. So um, it will also depend as well on injuries because I know... Lucy Quinn played quite well at the weekend, so she could be the one that comes in up front. But then Amber Barrett as well is also another option, but she was injured, or she came off injured at the weekend, so I'm not entirely sure what her situation is. I think she's being assessed this week. Looks like it's, yeah, it's this day next week, uh, the game Ireland against Scotland or Austria. They play, uh, Scotland Austria played this Thursday. So yeah, it is a quick, yeah. it is a quick turnaround for, for the winner of Scotland Austria. Obviously, they have home advantage against Ireland, so that's, there is that, but it could be, it could be a, You'd like to see, you hate to say it, a few suspensions slash injuries. Yeah, we, yeah. Need, we need a massive brawl. Yeah, all, all out. Well, I've heard our stuff. 
from from the grapevine, I've heard that Scotland are in a very good place. They feel very confident. They're really happy with their coach. That's where we they, want them. They Kathleen. have a fully fit team. Like they're they're going into this on a high. So if it is them we're facing, then we're going to need to bring our best. I think I w- I would actually kind of prefer to play Scotland. I think it would be a more entertaining match, just in, in terms of the rivalry across the sea. Um, okay, let's. You're, you're an Arsenal fan. I think we should uh, establish this. We've been getting a lot of grief about all the Manchester United conversation we had. Arsenal chat four segments on United yesterday, says Michal O'Connor. Um, <laughs> just ignore the Arsenal comment. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Michal, here we go. You know what? We're, we're happy. We're basking in the glow of being top of the table. We don't, we don't need you guys to fulfill us. <laughs> we had this conversation before the international break where we're like, when do we start talking about Arsenal as potential title contenders? In May. Still having the co- yeah, because May. it's Arsenal. Yeah. Well, I- see, that's the thing. I just have no... I have no faith that this is going to continue. Like, I'm really enjoying where we're at at the moment and I'm really enjoying watching this team play, but I... I've been burned so many times before that I just don't trust that it's going to last past Christmas. I, I actually, to be fair, if I look at it really rationally, I do think if we can manage to avoid too many serious injuries, Arsenal could go on a decent run this year. I don't think they're going to challenge City for the title. I know a few people have mentioned it and some people have just straight up laughed at it. That would probably be me. We had Nadeem on yesterday and he kind of said like, oh, you know, it's, if Arsenal beat all the lower teams and like that's 60-odd points, you know, they could challenge City a little bit. They're not going to do that while Erling Haaland is around. It, even if City do drop points, Arsenal will definitely drop points somewhere along the way. Um, but it is nice to just see the team actually playing with some proper style, proper formation. It seems like everyone knows what their role is and it seems like everyone's quite happy in that. And I remember one of the first times I ever came on off the ball, Owen asking me, did I think Arteta was the right man? And I was like, oh, give him three or four years. I think that's the time he needs to like unpick everything that's happened in Arsenal and where they are now. And I'm not going to say I was right, but for now, I will take the I'll take the plaudits. <laughs> it's Haaland. Is the difference. If, if Haaland wasn't in that City team, we would actually be talking about Arsenal a bit more. Uh, it's like, it's, yeah, like, oh, it's yeah. game over. Yeah, he's well, ruined the spectacle. Well, I mean, uh, City were already very dominant. If you had yeah. taken Liverpool out of previous seasons, like look, Arsenal have had an excellent start to the season. They did get exposed a little bit by Manchester United in a game where they could easily have won if yeah. they were a bit more ruthless. And so that was one of those things where you're like, I think as well though, like the mental thing with you. United took over a little bit like Arsenal just have this especially I don't know what it is they play United certain times and it's like they just forget everything that they've done before and they Not a great trait in the team you'd have to say <laughs> no slightly but, worrying but I mean it was when it's one of your like biggest rivals as well over the last like couple of decades to me they just struck me as a team that were like they got stage fright or something and I, I totally agree that's not a great trait to have in a team at all but I don't know if there are many other teams that they would experience that against um, Kathleen the biggest story in, in women's soccer at the moment is um, a confirmation late last night coming from a report by the former uh, acting Attorney General Sally Yates and the law firm King and Spalding that they concluded that at the top level of women's professional soccer in the US uh, players were subjected to pervasive systemic and widespread sexual abuse and harassment and the NWSL, the governing body and US soccer did little to stop it so this is a report, I think it's 310 pages and people are just beginning to digest uh, the contents of the report which are absolutely horrific but also the consequences 
and what's going to happen next. So um, I know you haven't had a chance to read the full report just yet, but certainly the top line reporting on it is, is beginning to paint a fairly horrific picture. Yeah, it's not great. I think I've read about 200 pages of it, and it is one of those reports that you need to stop and take breaks every so often. Um, I mean, no one was surprised necessarily reading this. I think what was surprising wasn't so much the contents, it was the depths of cover-up and the amount of times the teams involved were told this person has done something or allegations have been brought against this person and nothing was done. Like They may have been let go from an organisation but whichever team picked them up next weren't warned about it or they were warned about it and just didn't do anything. And that's like we saw up to five different firings or people leaving the NWSL last year because of these allegations. So everyone knew they were in the pipeline. I just don't think anyone knew how how truly awful some of them were and also how much very high up people had covered them up. The commissioner, the former commissioner Lisa Baird left last year because it was found that the NWSL had been told several times that there were several coaches in their system that were abusing players and she initially whenever the reporting came out from the athletic said that she wasn't aware of it and then they were going to do whatever they could to support players and then emails came up that showed that she had been told about it a couple of months ago and um, but this literally goes like right to the very very core of u.s football some of the people named in the report are the most well-known names and not even just u.s football like women's football across the world so it's going to be really interesting to see what the fallout is from this and you have to give full credit to you know Manishim and Sinead Farley they were the two players that first came out last year went to the athletic reported what they had gone through and that was the thing that sent all of this in motion and if they hadn't done that then it's really hard to see where we would be now like this whole report wouldn't have happened and also it was mentioned in the report that there was several allegations brought forward that they just didn't have time or they didn't have the resources to investigate so there's possibly other stuff still to come out that we don't even know about so I think it's a really important step for US soccer but it's also really important for world football to see that you know you can't get away with these things. Eventually, it will catch up with you, and there will be repercussions. These coaches, some of them still active. This is this isn't a historic abuse story. This isn't like the 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s. This is ongoing. This is like in the last couple of years. Most of this would be from the last 20. So most of the coaches that are mentioned in the report were all still coaching last season. Uh, and if not last season, the season before. So it's very, very recent. And all of these coaches have been in the coaching sphere for the last 20 years. You know, they're not they're not casual names. They're not people that you wouldn't know about. They are names that you would know if you follow women's football. Um, and also a lot of them would have worked in youth soccer as well, which is one of the things. The report doesn't go into youth soccer. It just focuses on NWSL. But they make it very, very clear that this abuse starts at that level. And it continues up to the senior ages. So even when you think about it from that perspective, that's, you know, young girls that are being subjected to this and then being subjected to it as grown women as well. And this circle of abuse is so strong that there is no way out 
there's no way there's nowhere for you to go uh, if you've reported it to the highest people you can and they don't do anything and you keep seeing this person getting a job year after year after year what are you supposed to do a lot of these women left the league and left football because that was the only recourse they could see to actually keep themselves safe and keep themselves in a protected place so the the federation had commissioned the study after that story in the athletic um and similar charges were reported in the Washington Post from other people. And then the fallout forced the resignation or the removal, still to be um, confirmed, of the commissioner, the general counsel, and five of the league's ten coaches. Yeah. It was it was massive. It was it was I remember when I was reporting on it at the time for ESPN and just every day being completely bewildered that something else was coming out about another coach. Um and you know, the, the league at the time did what they could in terms of players. They in the middle of a game, they took a minute silence and like both sides and all the management like linked arms and just stood there. And it was incredibly powerful. Yeah, I, because of the time difference, I remember watching it. It was like two, three a.m. our time, and just sitting in my kitchen, just like a silent tear running down my face. Because I think you watch what these women go through and you know that it's not just in football, it's not just in sport. This is something that we see across workplaces. It's something that every woman has probably either experienced or heard one of her friends experience before. So it was just incredibly powerful to see these women coming together. And they did it by themselves. This was purely the players and ex-players coming forward and saying... I experienced this, I'm going to talk about it because I don't want this to happen to other people. And no matter how much the higher-ups tried to push them down or tried to push the story down, they still managed to come to the top with it. And I think, you know, full credit goes to them for that, especially even players like Alex Morgan, who is one of the most well-known footballers in the world. She was one of the main people that pushed these women who or that pushed them, supported these women who had left the league, who wanted to come forward with their stories, who wanted to come talk about it and used her power in that way to help support them in the background. And then only when it all came out, even then she was kind of still in the background, but she was then using her voice, using her platform to promote them more and to make sure that these clubs who, and even the report says that a lot of the clubs that everyone knew were, were letting these allegations just go by actually tried to stop the report happening and tried to stop witnesses coming forward, tried to stop access to documents. So despite everything that they said last season that they wanted to, you know, fully cooperate, fully help take these people out of circulation, they were still trying to stop it all coming out until the very last minute. So, Yeah. Um, the report concluded multiple players informed teams, the league and US soccer about misconduct, but those reports were ignored it also says this isn't confined to the professional league. Abuse in the NWSL is rooted in a deeper culture in women's soccer, beginning <clears throat> pardon me, in youth leagues that normalises verbal abusive, verbally abusive coaching and blurs the boundaries between coaches and players. So, I don't know, is the publication some kind of a wake-up call for women's soccer, for the authorities, for people outside women's soccer to take a deeper look at that pervasive culture? I hope so. Um uh, I feel like we've been here before and, you know, if last year, even just the initial reporting that came out wasn't enough of a wake-up call and some of these clubs were still trying to sweep things under the rug in the year since, I don't know how optimistic I am that it will be a massive wake-up call, but I think it's really important that it is 
being talked about. It is something that, you know, people, you can't ignore it. Like, if you read, the, even if you read some of the articles about the report and not the report itself, you cannot ignore how horrendous some of the abuse that was going on was. And I really hope that it causes other federations, other journalists, other people in countries all over the world to take a bit of a closer look at the systems that are in operation um, because there's no way that this is limited to the NWSL. I mean, we saw it with the French Federation being accused of hiding up similar things a couple of weeks ago. This is happening all over the place. Hopefully now this has come out people will see there is repercussions, that there there are ways that you can get your story told and there are people who will support you in that. It's just, it's a hard process. It's a long process. Um, but the, the recourse is there. Yeah, there, there's um, a phrase about this being an open secret because it was so pervasive. Uh, I Like... <laughs> Well, there was there was always rumors say like certain because of the way the draft system works in the U.S. You know, you could be told day to day that okay, well, you've your rights have been sold to this club and you have to go there. And there had been reports of some of the coaches that are mentioned in the report, players not wanting to report to them and just doing whatever they can, taking contracts abroad, because you can do that. You can still have your rights can still be owned in the US, but you can still go to Europe or Australia or wherever. Them trying to find overseas deals so they didn't have to work with certain coaches. Um, you talked to a lot of the US reporters. A lot of this stuff was known, but it was just getting someone to come forward. And that's why I was saying earlier that what Manishim and Sinead Farley did was so important and Kay McCullough as well. There was a couple of players um, because they broke that barrier. They were the first ones that said, okay, we're going to stand up. We're going to say something. And that gave other people the gap to go through. It gave other people the space to do it. And it just takes one a lot of the time for these things to open up in that way and it becomes less of an open secret. Yeah, so we can expect more, much more to come because, as you said, the scope of this investigation was quite narrow. It took a long time, but I guess, in retrospect, the fact that it took a long time is probably good because it means that it's going to be very robust from a legal perspective and it's going to stand up to to scrutiny from the lawyers of the people who are named and accused. But it does then allow the next uh, bunch of investigations to dig similarly deep into other allegations that are out there at the moment. Exactly. It sets the foundation and it sets the precedent. And I think when you look at the amount of documents that were coming through, I know Sally Yates and the uh, US Soccer Federation and NWSL and NWSL Players Association, all these different groups that were involved in it all said at different times, like the scale of reports that they were getting through and the scale of people coming to them was massive so the fact that something has come out and it's come out in a relatively short time frame in the sense that you know people can still remember the league last year when players took that stance people can still remember these stories I think it is important that it was quite a tight time frame but also we there was one line in the report where I think Sally Yates said something about you know we wanted to get this out in a very quick time frame so we didn't investigate certain things. I hope that doesn't mean that those go uninvestigated, that this is just like the starting block and like, okay, we've looked at these things, now we're going to set up another commission and we're going to look at youth soccer, we're going to look at other areas that maybe we just didn't have the time to do now. Um, Because if we've learned anything from the very 
basic parts of this report it's that this is going on in a lot of places and this is by no means the end of it yeah the the u.s federation in fairness to them have immediately established an office of participant safety public soccer related records from safe sports centralized database of officials and coaches who've been investigated or sanctioned for misconduct which is exactly what you need it's like coach a gets accused of something in one place and then six months later fetches up on the other side of America and nobody knows anything about the fact that the reason they left under a cloud was because they'd been accused of something um, and then also um, they're going to have background checks and create a participant safety task force led by athletes themselves but they do need to investigate those other ones as well so um, look it's a it, it's a developing story we will continue to cover it Kathleen great stuff thanks a million for uh, bringing us up to date on that it's 14 minutes past 8 we've got to take a quick break we're back on the other side with the first depth chart of the new season. OTB AM. Okay, a reminder for you, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Each week we're giving one lucky viewer a hundred euro voucher to spend on some Braeburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, check out Add Off The Ball on Twitter. Like and retweet our Braeburn competition post and you'll be in the draw. Braeburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go coffee experience on the road. It's available at Apple Green today. Now, to the uh, front row depth chart. This is officially the start of our World Cup countdown. Mike Sherry, good morning to you. Oh, you're on mute, I think. Either on our side or on your side. No, it must be on us. Yeah. We, we'll get you back in one second. I, I build it up. <laughs> I'm the circus the ringmaster Cup. and... Uh, we better be quick because... The line comes out and goes... There's only, nah. what, a year to go? <clears throat> we better be quick getting this, uh, this build-up build up in. It's exciting. No, it is exciting. Um... A lot of nervous players probably listening in this morning. See, waiting to see yeah. where they are in the depth chart. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, we got you back, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Can you hear me? Yeah, this time perfect. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Uh, look, we're being mildly facetious when it comes to the World Cup countdown because we, we should stop living in the prison of only ever seeing Irish rugby through the World Cup and just enjoy it for what it is. But at the same time, it is a World Cup season. <laughs> and so um, while, uh, while we might be talking about it, Obviously, within the Ireland camp, they're thinking about it. That's why we have the Emerging Ireland Tour as well. So, when it comes to the depth chart for the front row, is it very obvious at the moment? And is that one of the problems we have? Is that the gap between our front line, first choice, and the lads who are coming behind them is just a bit too big? Yeah, like I was, I, I put it together yesterday um, on the back of a, an envelope and... Um, it, there was nothing surprising there like I was writing names it's kind of par for the course you know pretty much who's first choice who's second choice there's a little bit of debate about Hooker I would imagine Dan Sheen Ronan Kelleher I would say Dan is ahead of the main based off the fact of his own form and Ronan's had um, a couple a couple injuries but overall it's pretty well set now at this stage and it's it's getting the depth underneath to be able to deal with any injuries is probably the main concern feeding into it and the, the depth isn't a problem just for Ireland. It's actually a problem for the provinces as well, where they're constantly trying to hothouse new, younger, particularly props. How difficult is it for somebody to get up to speeds at the very top level so that you can go from playing URC to Heineken Cup? What's the difference in terms of scrummaging from your perspective and, and what you would have experienced as a player? Um, between URC and Heineken Cup? Yeah, look... Is a, it is a big step up. Um, it's a whole different week, different environment, uh, different atmosphere. You're playing like you can go from playing, you know, dragons, a couple of thousands to an absolutely packed out Tom Park. So um, 
it's a different uh, it's a different beast entirely. Uh, and then <clears throat> the step up to international. Wish I could give you a bit more of an insight into the step up from um, European rugby to international. But again, I would imagine it's a huge step up again. So um, going through those building blocks of club rugby, A rugby, URC. European and then into um, international rugby it takes time and like you say the are trying to shoehorn a few guys in but they have to do that and it's either sink or swim Where do you, where do you stand Mike on the, on the Emerging Ireland Tour itself like I know there's been a bit of back and forth of controversy before it ever started but is it a legitimate I guess opportunity for some of these players to stake a proper claim for, for squad selection Some I would imagine um, the likes of um, Frawley Balakoon um, I would think overall it's more to get a look at the guys in the environment, travelling, getting to see them, how their personalities work in a group atmosphere and an environment like that. The quality of games looks to be pretty low, unfortunately. Um, I heard someone saying during the week that possibly a um, a good AIL team would have given the uh, emerging team a better a better game than than they just played. So from that point of view, it's a little disappointing. But um, there are some there overall, I wouldn't imagine too many of the people down there or players down there would feature in the uh, in the touring squad to the World Cup. Yeah, I suppose the other thing is that from the, the uh, it's an opportunity for that coaching ticket to develop as well and to kind of have, you know, this is the first time they've had not had Andy Farrell in the room going, OK, we're going to do it this way and this way and this way and this way. So from Easterby's perspective... I'd say it's a good opportunity for him to spread his wings a bit and to get a taste of what it's like to be the the, the lead and even just for the rest of them like I, I, that's probably a, an under remarked upon part of that whole tour is like that's an interesting kind of that's a decision that's, that was interesting but anyway to go back to the, the front row um, what do you learn from being pitched into Heineken Cup games like do we need to do we need to bite the bullet this season a little bit and give some players who might not be first choice experience of of being in the scrum when you're saying it's a different week is it a different match experience as well like you're obviously against better players what's the impact on your own performance when you're against a better player in the in the scrum um, it can be one of the ways you can up your performance knowing that if you're not at a certain level you can uh, be put back in your box pretty quickly and, and be a weakness in the team and any weakness at that level is exposed or it can get to you and you ultimately are exposed Um yeah, look, what I mean by it's a different week, uh, there's just more scrutiny, there's more media attention, there's, um, like when I was leaving rugby, um, they were similar weeks from when I first got involved with the Monster team in, in 09, there was a definite, definite difference between the week of a Magnus League as it was then match as opposed to European match. Not in terms of a lackadaisical attitude, but it just was different. Um, there was a different playing group, first of all, um, and there was a, there wasn't as much attention on it. It wasn't do or die. Um, so that's kind of the difference. Like with with Munster, anyway, over the last twenty or so years, it's completely do or die in European Cup rugby. Obviously, we need to. Um, I, I suppose not lower expectations, but make them more realistic. That you know you can't can't look to win both tournaments every single year, uh, and then if you don't, it's an absolute write-off of the season. Which is what it kind of it, it appeared in the the noughties. If Munster didn't win the European Cup, it was you know this is a disaster of a season, or that's not realistic anymore. But um, it's just more pressure on you to perform, bigger crowds, more media attention, and a higher level of rugby and competition. 
Okay, let's get into the depth chart. So uh, at loose heads, we have it's very clear pecking order. Andrew Porter's number one on your list. You have Keen Healy two, Dave Kilcoyne three, Jeremy Lukeman four, and James Cronin five. So um, Andrew Porter is one of those undroppables from Ireland's first choice team, right? He's he's established himself as somebody who's at the very top level of the game at the moment. Yeah, um, absolutely. Other than injury, um, he's going to be um, one of the first names on the team sheet. Um, playing significant minutes as well. You're looking at 60, 70 minutes sometimes, um, which is rare enough for a prop, but that's the situation we're in. That's the level he's playing at. And that's not to disparage what's beneath him, but he's just operating at a very, very uh, elite level at the minute. You've got Keane Hooley down as a, a, a loose head. Is there is that is that where he is now from your perspective? Do you think that's like how the, the last few years of his career is going to finish up? Because there was some talk about maybe him finishing out as a, a sub off the bench or an emergency tight head? Yeah, um, perhaps if they're, if they're in, a, in a bind. I see him as a loose head. He's played there for 15 years now at this stage um, and a really good guy to bring off the bench. Um, he kind of peaks and drops. He goes through really good patches of form, um, which he seems to be in at the minute. Not getting too much rugby. Um, I know he made his 250th appearance there uh, a few weeks ago, which in is incredible considering the amount of international rugby he's played as well so look he's a brilliant guy to have there uh, and on his day he's world class as well but I, I just think Porter has perhaps gone to the level Keane was at maybe five, six, seven years ago Is there anybody else on that list so Dave Kilcoyne Jeremy Lukeman James Cronin <coughs> who could uh, see a peak like what, what like what's Jeremy Lukeman's ceiling? He's a really talented player. Yeah, he's he's an athlete. He's very fast, very skillful. Um, a couple of years ago, people always refer to it, but I think he threw out like a 30-meter spin pass off his left-hand side out the wing um, in a European game when he's on in full motion. So, you know, it's not many props that can do that. I know Ty Furlong probably um, makes us all think it's easy for props to do that, but it's not. And uh, he's a really good player. Um, he's had a couple of injuries. He's in the environment. He's He's gone on tour with them. They know what he's like. And yeah, he's he, he's got a lot of potential. He's still young. I think one interesting one is James Cronin. I just I don't think you could ignore the fact that he's starting week in, week out for Premiership winners, Leicester. Um, they're absolutely entrenched in set-piece, scrum, mall. All that is, is what the club is built on. Um, and if he gets a run of form, he's a really, really good player. Um, he's matured a lot. He's gone through a lot. Uh, I read a, a nice article with him uh, last week. So I just think he's in a very good place. I met him over the summer um, and he was loving the environment. And, you know, if you're playing week in, week out for a team like Leicester, uh, it's very hard to ignore considering the lack of depth we have here. Uh, one of those players who maybe, you know, obviously is not uh, up for selection at the moment, but who, in case of emergency, we could break glass for a World Cup. He is. No, we could. If if we needed to, we could say, right, look, we're changing the rules. It's the World Cup. Sorry, yes. I thought, I thought you were going to announce someone there. As oh, no. The <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think the rules could be changed for him. Um, you know, prop is an area that we just can't go in undercooked or under-resourced to a World Cup. Uh, helps that it's in France. You know, it's not the big massive travel over. But... Um, yeah, like he's he's played there before. I know he's only he's only got three caps, which I found incredible. Um, having played with him for years, you know, himself and Dave Kilcoyne were competing against each other for the past ten or twelve years in Munster, and one of them would get injured, the other one would get in and have a great run of form and get up with Ireland, and 
then vice versa would happen. But you know, I, I've a lot of time for him as a player. I think he's he's very good on his day. Okay, to Hooker, you've already said you think Dan Sheen is slightly ahead of, of Ronan Keller at the moment. Uh, the cliche we we throw out in this show all the time. The best ability is availability. <clears throat> Dan Sheen has largely been bulletproof, um, and Ronan Keller has been very unfortunate with injuries. It's kind of nip and tuck, is it? Or is there are you starting to see Sheen create a bit of separation in terms of the pecking order? Uh, look, when you're scoring four tries in a game, uh, it's very hard to ignore that. Now I know he's not doing much of the work; he's hanging off the back of the mall. But um, like he, he's incredibly dynamic. Throwing technique is excellent. He had two crookets against Ulster, but they were tired throws and he was putting himself around the pitch in general his throwing is excellent um, and yeah it's a little concerning about Kelleher uh, he's picking up injuries now he had surgery over the summer um, I know from experience it's a very attritional position and if you get in a bad run of injuries you know it's 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 hard to get back up to the level you're at now he hasn't had too many uh, to the point where it might be detrimental to his overall performance and ability but You'd like to see him get a clean bill of health uh, leading up into the November internationals and then the Six Nations, and then it's a really, really good contest between the two guys for both Leinster and Ireland. I think uh, we're blessed. The two of them are absolutely world class on the day. So uh, if they're fit, we're very well uh, served there. That attrition point is an interesting one, Mike, because I'm, I was looking back last night just before we had you on this morning that Keith Woods front row depth chart from I think it was the start of last year where he, where he had Rob Herring as number one. He obviously mentioned Dan Sheehan as kind of the next generation, but is it age profile that goes against someone? Like I know you have Rob Herring in his number three there, but when you're looking for a World Cup uh, next year. I think Dan Sheehan has maybe seven or eight years on Rob Herring. Is that is that kind of what you're looking for here? That you need someone young, someone with a bit of uh, less mileage on the clock, maybe for a World Cup. Um, not particularly, to be honest. Um, I just think Dan is uh, at the minute performing to a level that he makes himself number one, regardless of his age or experience. I think Rob is a really good guy to have um, for a. Um, for a match that maybe you want to rest your frontline players for but you still want to keep consistency he's a brilliant uh, thrower of the ball really good around set piece and he's a good player around the park as well so if there was an injury he's an excellent guy to um, <clears throat> to fill in and also to to rest guys while maintaining a, a high level he's he's uh, he's probably at that level where he's just below the two guys Um so yeah, that's kind of where I'd have him regardless of his, his age or experience How close are Heffernan and Scannell to Herring? <clears throat> it's kind of a supporting cast to the two guys um, I think they prefer Herring I think his set piece work is very strong and he has, he has a bit of dynamism around the pitch I think um, <clears throat> Dave Heffernan would perhaps be more dynamic around the pitch but maybe doesn't have as strong a set piece as Rob and then Niall Scandal is very strong around set piece uh, maybe his uh, work around the pitch wouldn't be quite at the level of Dan Sheen or Ronan Kelleher so again Three really good guys to have in your squad uh, will absolutely fulfil a role and perform at a level when you, when you need them to. But I think the two the two Leinster guys have pushed themselves to where they're in conversations around some of the most dynamic and best hookers in Europe, if not world rugby at the minute. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely separation between those two. In, a tight head again, tight furlong. Uh, there's there's no one going to have any argument here. You got Finley Beelham second, Tom O'Toole third, John Ryan fourth, and Marty Moore fifth. Um, I don't think Marty Moore has been around the Ireland squad too much uh, since, even since he's he's come back to to play his rugby in Ireland. Uh, but is there a world in which you bring somebody like Marty Moore on the 
occasion where you're up against a team who are potentially going to scrummage you off the park right? where if like um, you know let, let's assume furlong plays right but if there is say we're going up against South Africa is there a world in which you decide actually you know what I'm going to put Marty Moore out there and he's going to lock down that scrum for us and we're going to have no concerns about getting our own ball back when we have it and we're going to have no concerns about conceding penalties when they have it like because I just heard in commentary the other night somebody say oh it's a great position for uh, Ulster to be in to have their best scrummager coming off the bench and I'm like is there you know World Cup is a weird thing where you play three games in two weeks and then massive games week on week and the attrition rates as you've talked about are massively high is there is there a world in which you bring somebody who is just there to lock down the scrum for a half an hour or 20 minutes in a game and you go well that was a, a strategic decision that we made he might not actually be the second or third best uh, tight heads that we have uh, yeah I, I, I see a world in where that happens um, I have John Ryan ahead of him obviously John is over in England now the only reason I have him ahead of him is he's been involved with the squad um, more recently than, than Marty I don't think I can remember the last time Marty was involved in the squad it's been several but you said he is um, one of if not the best uh, scrummaging tight heads in the country Um and the fact that it's in France, maybe you don't bring him in your initial squad, but you know he's training away, keeping fit with Ulster, playing rugby, and he's there if you need to call him in. Um, maybe he's a little bit outside their thinking at the minute, but to have him in the back pocket is is hugely beneficial. Um, and maybe there's something that we don't know about that he's not involved in squads. Maybe there's an aspect of his game that the coaches have asked him to work on, and it hasn't got to the level that they were, were they wanted to be, but uh, from a purely scrummaging point of view, um, a guy like him is invaluable. So if they're struggling, if they're coming up against a big pack, he's a he's a good card to draw. Is, is familiarity important there, Mike? As well, like it obviously strikes me that Porter Sheehan, Furlong, hard to argue with any of the three. All Leinster players as well. Like the fact that they're kind of used to playing with each other at provincial level is that is that an important aspect to this too? When you're picking your your first three. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Um, look, the more reps you can get, line out, uh, scrum, mall, the better. The more combinations you can, um, sorry, the the more comfortable you can be in your combination, um, the better for everyone. You know, the, the three lads plus Kelleher, um, they'd be scrummaging day in day out with each other up in, in Leinster, and then when they go to Ireland camp, it's second nature to them. So it definitely aids their ability to perform. Um, and build up a relationship with each other and you know all this all this counts you know how much you want to help your buddy out beside you as opposed to some new guy coming in and you know I'm not saying you'll drop your levels but you know it all feeds into the psychology of it and, and that extra 1% of your performance One last question for you is there anybody outside this list who you think might be a bolter potential for a World Cup? <laughs> here put me on the spot here uh, I'll go back to my envelope and see if I had any names scribbled down um, is there anyone Fanine, or sorry, not Fanine, uh, Josh Witcherly is someone I probably should have uh, should have mentioned. Um, he's involved with the emerging squad. He's been up in Ireland camps. Possibly on the loose head side, he could be involved. Um, if Ireland are very strict on not using anyone from England, he could um, go in there ahead of James Cronin. Um, but no, like it's something that, you know, I know I have five in each position there. All five are good players, but a couple injuries and we are quite bare. So, yeah. One probably needs to put their hand up in the next uh, five, six months of the season and maybe get into an Ireland camp over the summer. But there's no one that really stands out at the minute. Well, fingers crossed somebody does put their their hand up as well. And, and you know, we'll all be um, 
uh, praying to whatever we believe in that uh, that front row doesn't get injured Mike great stuff thanks a million for joining us cheers cheers that's nice talk that's the first of our rugby depth charts of the new season for you front row with Mike Sherry there if you want to get in touch with us 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number or you can always leave a comment on the YouTube stream a reminder OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day now do you want to spend the night with Roddy Collins well we've teamed up with Penguin Ireland to celebrate the release of Roddy's new autobiography it's called The Rodfather and we're hosting a special night at the Sugar Club in Dublin on Thursday, October the 13th. Richie McCormack's going to be joined on the night by the Rodfather himself, the ghostwriter Paul Howard and some very special guests. It promises to be a cracking night, so check out sugarclub.com for tickets. It does promise to be a sensational night. Uh, now, we're turning our attention to the uh, growing, un- unfortunate, uh, consistent issue of referee abuse in the GEA. And I'm delighted to say we've got the Wexford GEA County Chairperson, Michal Martin, to talk about the topic. Good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Jar. Um, thank you. Uh, look, unfortunately, we're, we're talking to you guys because you've had some high-profile incidents uh, in recent times. But I'm interested in the proactive response that you've decided to take to this. Can you talk to us first off about um, what what you are doing on a practical level, just to try and raise the issue so that it's not something that you're carrying the can for, but that it's actually something you can be in a leadership position for. Yeah, I, listen. I suppose it's well documented at this stage that we've we've had particularly one high-profile incident. But this is an area that we have actually had on the agenda of every board meeting, uh, both executive and full county board meeting this year, uh, primarily because of the recruit of the recruitment issue. Um, uh, and. Um, uh, I suppose to tackle that, we, we had come up with a number of initiatives that we thought were um, were maybe making progress. But then, obviously, when the incidents uh, and some of these incidents came to light, um, we um, I suppose we we met last last Tuesday night with our with our referees, and within that meeting, we feel that a, a huge number of positive uh initiatives uh, came out of it primarily and I suppose I would be I would be really proud uh, in the first instance of the reaction of our clubs um we we I suppose gave one week for the clubs to um to hold a workshop and uh, I think tomorrow night is the last night uh, for that to be held uh, I think 70% of the clubs have held theirs already um and we will have uh, we'll have over a thousand mentors that will have sat in a room to self-evaluate uh, the current, say, sideline behaviour and attitude towards referees uh, within each club. I think that's the key piece. That you know, first of all, we've all acknowledged that there there is an issue. There's an issue in our county, um, and I think um, it's it's across counties, it's across codes. Uh, we're all aware of it at this stage. I think I referenced it previously as a societal issue, um, and I think it is. Um, but it's an issue that we do have to deal with. Um, so that that's the first instance in terms of those workshops, and there's been a very positive reaction, um, uh, both from club officials, from mentors, um, and parents. Um, can we can we just tease out those workshops because that that's interesting, right? Like um, the the self evaluation bit is something that not everybody's very good at, right? It, it, you're asking people, uh, is your behaviour acceptable? You're asking us to ask ourselves: Is our behaviour acceptable? And um, like, how do, how do you how do you encourage that? How do you 
Because I, I suppose one of the things here is that we, you would you would hope that a club will turn round to one of their mentors who is going uh, is crossing the line or to a parent crossing the line. But like we've had this conversation before, you you don't know who you're standing beside, and you don't know how angry people are, you don't know what's going on in their lives, you don't know whether or not they're likely to hit you. So a lot of people don't have the capacity to turn around to a, a parent or a mentor of a team and say, hang on a second, stop that. That That's not acceptable. Yeah, listen, I suppose we are ultimately, as a, as a club, the club has to take responsibility for who they appoint on, uh, to, 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 um, to coach teams. Uh, and then once, once, that, once that responsibility is given to a coach, the coach has to be advised, mentored in terms of what is and what isn't acceptable. Um, and that, I suppose, in terms of the workshop, and we would have given the guidance a very specific, um, simple, but, but guidance in terms of what way we wanted the workshop to, uh, to run. Uh, and um, so, for example, we were asking for, we broke down every category from parents, supporters, players, uh, mentors, uh, a simple rating scale. We want you to rate your current behavior from one to ten. Uh, and we gave some parameters within that in terms of, you know, some examples of, of what, say, misbehavior would have looked like. And then under each heading, we would have looked, we were, were seeking an action to improve that. Now, we are aware, and I think it's, it's really important, uh, and I've said this since, um, that um, we don't want to tarnish everybody with a brush that uh, is... <laughs> that there's misbehaviour on the sideline. There's a lot of positive behaviour and the vast majority of volunteers across our county, across across the country, go out and do wonderful work uh, every weekend or every every evening. Um, but there are a small instant, number of instances, and particularly at this stage of the year, I think when we get in a, in a GA context, we're getting towards the, the knockout stages um, where, you know, the, the prize is that little bit bigger uh, and, and the issues probably manifest themselves even more at underage level to be honest um, that as I say it's now time to hold up a mirror to uh, hold up a mirror for the clubs to hold up a mirror to to um, to look at is our behaviour acceptable and the response we've got has been has been honestly really really good I don't know if you saw social media this morning you see some pictures uh, of the club workshops they've been really really well attended uh, I've spoken to a number of club chairpersons and they've said there's been really, really good engagement because I think there's a, a widespread acknowledgement that there uh, that there there are issues. It, it certainly great, Michal, to see the, the I guess, participation in these workshops. That's definitely a good sign and probably the first step forward. The only thing that would concern me, I guess, from the, the surveys, I guess a lot of people filling out these surveys, you know, when they're being asked to rate themselves from, from 0 to 10 or 1 to 10, when you're filling out those surveys, you're sitting at home, you're not feeling nice and calm. I guess at the games then, tempers flare and people react in, in the moment to, to things happening that, that piss them off. And as Jer says, we don't know the background stories of a lot of these people. Like, is it your concern that maybe something needs to be done at, at a higher level, whether it's the top of the GEA, whether it's government, that, that there have to be serious, serious repercussions for, for people? I don't know if it's naming, naming and shaming or, or what it might be, but that there has to be a, an extra element to this to really to really clamp down on it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, listen, this, we, we would have acknowledged that this is, this is the first step of the process um, that, that we've taken. I suppose we had some other recommendations arising out of our meeting uh, last week. And I've been contacted by a huge number of people. We, we're actually um, uh, going to participate in a piece of research with, uh, uh, with um, a researcher from UCD uh, in relation to how we can make long-lasting change on this 
uh, and already um, the, the various phases. And even in the last week, I'd say we've we've engaged, broken down what a possible research project might look like in terms of making long-lasting behaviour. And we all recognise, myself included, uh, in, in the heat of battle, um, you know, p- people are going to get excited and, and what have you, but there's a certain level of behaviours that are unacceptable. So we need to outline those behaviours and then address and make people aware that these are the sanctions. And I think we've already, I suppose, we we would be proposing and have proposed a special Congress because this is a matter of urgency now where where the line is crossed that the sanctions must be more um, must be more stringent than they are at the moment. Um, like the our hands are tied at the moment in terms of the upper the maximum limit of uh, within the GEA um, and we would be very strongly stating that that maximum limit should be uh, should be removed and that uh, it will be done at the discretion of the committee to to um, to implement the ban that may be more appropriate. So you uh, bring in lifetime bans in a way it's it's symbolic uh, as much as anything we were just talking about it earlier on in the office like how do you actually police a lifetime ban you know um, you don't need to flash an identity card to get into Croke Park for a match but the fact that a whole community would know that somebody had transgressed to the point where the entire organisation says you are shunned you you should not be allowed we don't trust you to be involved in our organisation anymore it's the symboli- symbolism of that as much as anything rather than the actual day-to-day enforcement of it yeah I, I think I, I'd agree with that Jura. And, and remember I suppose again in a GA context the GA crosses every community um, so generally and I suppose Ireland is a small place but within each community and within each county it's a small place as well where, where someone transgresses to the point that a lifetime ban is deserved uh I think that'll be easy enough implemented, being honest. Yeah. Can I just ask you one thing? And this is a bit of a tangent, but um, we saw TG Carr mic'd up a referee. And um, I, I, I firmly believe that one of the reasons why the respect that rugby referees get and, and even American football referees get is that you can largely hear what's being said to them at some stage. It, it becomes public. In soccer, you can't. And in soccer, you can see the referee getting abuse. And in GA, you can see the referee getting abuse. I think that would stop if we could hear what was being said. I think players would be shamed into not saying the stuff that they want to say. They'd bite their tongue and tempers would calm if if that was made public. There would be a period of maybe six months where stuff was being said that shouldn't be said. But it would, you know, in, in much the same way that Ireland's a small community, people would be like, oh, geez, I shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry. Is there is there an element here where we could look at something else which is a bit left field into helping to call, to to be part of the solution to this issue? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, absolutely. I think there. I, I think it's got to the stage where we need a complete review of um, our approach to refereeing. Uh, we need a complete review of the rule book because it's too convoluted. I mean, the, the playing rules of Gaelic football runs to about sixty-four pages. Uh, I see David Goff quoted at the weekend in relation to <clears throat> the simplification of of, of the actual rules, uh, and we even had an incident uh, at the weekend. Um, at, at the end of one of our games where I know there was a kind of a general debate on what the actual rule was. Listen, if players um, and even if officials can differ in their in their opinion on a, on a rule, well, then the rule is too complicated. Uh, something to Pat Daly on this, and I think his mantra was uh, rules should be easy to read, easy to remember, and easy to apply. I think our playing rules at the moment probably aren't, um, aren't that and need to be simplified. Um there's more people playing our games now than ever before, uh, particularly you know at underage with the with the advent of of GPOs and with um, goal games. Uh, 
but that means that there's people who probably don't have a level of understanding of the rules are following our games uh, so to go to, to I suppose to get to your point in relation to anything then that can help in the communication of that uh, be it the, the player mic or whatever other aspect is something that should be at least explored and trialed and piloted uh, and I think we'd all acknowledge now we need to do more. You mentioned, Michal, uh, the word recruitment there from the outset, and that, that's something that we, uh, a number of weeks ago, I think when it was the, the incident in Roscommon, we spoke to, to David Goff and to Martin McNally, two referees at inter-county level, about that. Um, Morris Deegan as well quoted in the newspapers today talking about the fact that you know there's, there's all this talk of the need for two referees on the pitch at the same time, but but counties and, and clubs are struggling to get even one referee on the pitch. Like Within your own county of Wexford, is that is that an issue, that, that area of recruitment and negative stories like this cropping up is, is hardly going to make the issue of recruitment and uh, bringing in new referees any easier. Yeah, and, and that's why we've had it on the agenda. I mean, we, we recognise, at least 12 months ago, we recognised that we had a problem with recruitment referees. Um, and, and we've uh, we've gone from, from almost 70 to just over just over 50, uh, probably less than 50 active referees. Uh, and there have been, now not a huge amount of games, but there have been a number of games that uh, haven't been able to go ahead because the sheer volume of matches at the weekend, uh, we have we would have referees doubling up. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's an obvious one, but without referees, we don't have games. Uh, so the recruitment process is something that we have been actively, uh, we've been actively looking at. You know, we've had a couple of successes. I mean, this, the referee of, for our senior hurling this year, Eamon Furlong, recently retired player, probably would have had a reputation on the on the field as someone who would have been you know robust and uh, would have known the, some some of the dark arts maybe but he has uh, in, a, in a short number of years then has become uh, a referee um, and refereed our senior hurling final to a really really high level and he's just an example and I suppose again just to to emphasize how great a reaction we've had this week in Wexford he's been in a number of local schools. Uh, in his area going in was invited in um, to talk about respect for referee to talk about the rules of the game so it's that type of process that we're looking to generate now in terms of uh, we, we, when we left the room with the referees last Tuesday night we we did say this can be a watershed moment in our county in relation to we have to change attitude we need more referees but the whole thing is part of the process um, and um, unless we start that process and start it quick, we'll, um, we, we won't be recruiting new referees. We'll be losing the referees that we have. Uh, there's a point here from Colin McKnight, which I was just about to make myself in, in the comments. County boards and teams need to stop getting their players who've been sent off on, off on technicalities. Obvious red cards are being contested and this needs to stop. It's, it's true, really, isn't it, that actually the, the system of governance refereeing is actually under attack basically from all sides, from supporters, management, even the administration when it comes to sure look we'll, we'll try and get you off and if, if we have to go to the DRA we'll go to the DRA and generally the DRA are like look lads if the rule book isn't 100% nailed down and how can it be 100% nailed down then there's probably a technicality that you can get off anybody on at some level that is a big issue our culture is to try and get off it's to repent at the last minute and get into heaven well, again, we would have we would we would be recommend that this the disciplinary process within the GA is completely overhauled and reviewed, uh, and we've made that recommendation actually within the county and, and our referees. I think took some solace from it last uh, last week. We've had 188 red cards um, 
in our county championships this year, which you know, there's a huge number of games, but quite a high level of, say, red cards. There's only been eight hearings, so only eight of those red cards have sought um, have sought a, a hearing, didn't accept the card, let's say, uh, and only two of those have been overturned, and I think one one was proven to be a mistaken um, was mistaken identity. So uh, within the county, we're, we were quite comfortable with that. But to take your point, yeah, listen, there has been a number of high high profile um, cases during the year, and they ultimately they undermine the whole process. Hey. Um, to um, <laughs> For disciplinary process, so there's some feedback on your on the line there. No worries. Go on. Sorry, Sorry. cut across you, Michal. Um, like the issue probably is bigger at the club level because, needless to say, you can hear the abuse quite quite more uh, obviously at, at matches at club level compared to say in Croke Park where there's a full stand and it's and it's quite difficult for referees and players to hear this abuse. But even from your GA supporters hat, like as someone who probably attends a lot of, of games yourself, over the last. Three, four, five years. Have you noticed an increase in you know when you're when you're at in stands yourself as a, as a fan or as someone just there to watch a game? Have you noticed a, maybe a bit of an increase in terms of abuse uh, hurled at referees? I think during well, I suppose during COVID we didn't have crowds, and as we emerged from COVID with, with smaller crowds, I think everyone appreciated more the the value of our games. But certainly, uh, certainly since I think this year, uh, as a only last the, the Tuesday night before we had a particular incident uh, we would have spoken at a county board meeting about the level of unacceptable behaviour particularly at underage matches uh, I think it manifests itself more at underage matches um, particularly at this time of the year so say for example we are now at semi-final final stage of our underage games uh, one of the one of the um, proposals that we've um one of the proposals that we've had was to mark out boxes at every ground and that the mentors must stay in that. Now, we have that in our main stadiums and we have our high-profile games, but you can't be having underage matches where mentors are, are 10, 15 yards in on the line, directing players, uh, potentially then engaging with a referee. Um, that's probably a, a growing uh, phenomenon. And it's something that, again, from talking, I've spoken to a number of chairpersons and other, even other codes, um, that it, it, it's an issue. So, uh, and there has been a number of initiatives to try and address this, such as silent sideline and so on. Um, but it's a culture change we need. And I, I would have said this last last week. I think Sport Ireland probably need to take the lead on it in terms of bringing the NGBs together, uh, and the policymakers need to develop an overarching protocol to address um, sideline behaviour. I think that's right, and I think that it was interesting that the Houses of the Oireachtas held a hearing on this and came out with all their good ideas, but no one actually followed through to say, like, so hate crime legislation is being introduced at the moment. Like, can we have a, a special statute on the books where if you assault a referee in any sport, that actually there's there's a higher punitive rate to that because it's like somebody who more than likely you're sucker punching, as we've seen. You know, it's um, I don't know, maybe that's taking this too far, but um, you know, it's really interesting. You know, you've got a practical, evidence-based approach to a problem that's nationwide, and I really hope that. Um, very interested to hear a bit more about that research you're doing at UCD, and we wish you all the best with it because it really, it absolutely needs to be fixed, and it's great to see you're putting so much effort into it. Thanks a million for joining us. Thanks, guys. Uh, Michael Martin there, the uh, county board chairman of Wexford GAA. If you want to get in touch, 087 is the WhatsApp number. Um, those boxes for 
mentors on the sideline that's a good idea because no matter what age group you're at at the moment you can see the mentors down in the corners yeah. like constantly straight onto the pitch tell, well. them, tell the players what to do like how are they going to become good decision makers yeah. if you're like stand there do this da, da, da. And you're like well but it's funny how things like that that sounds so obvious and even the the thing you suggested about micing up referees sounds so obvious when you hear it but but until you actually implement it it's, it's micing up change. referees immediately everybody was after the TG Car game was like oh that's really interesting you can hear yeah. he's explaining the rule that he's given the, the foul on yeah, yeah. so all of a sudden those fouls become like it's like in American football everybody knows roughing the passer because their guy comes out and goes roughing the passer and they're like oh yeah it was roughing the passer yeah. do you know like and I think you, you talk about how it might take six months or whatever for, for players to cop on to the fact that the referees are mic'd up I actually think it would be quicker than that I think players would cop on pretty quickly well, to the fact that yeah, I'm, referees I'm being, are mic'd up I'm giving everybody a bit of generosity yeah, yeah, here of but you, you, you can't do it because the players might say something that would have an impact on their job yeah. is the, is the like the players are amateur and so therefore but that's nonsense yeah 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 they like, can't be protected or sheltered because, but you, because so I'm, I'm to abuse you because I because I'm a, an amateur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no. I can say what I want to you because I I'm an amateur. <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't have any legs really. Um, right, we fixed it. Eight fifty five. If you want to get in touch, as I said, leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. Is it going to happen? Who knows? I mean, we all desperately want it to happen. One man who though might have a better idea is the legendary boxing promoter Barry Hearn, who joins us on the line now. Barry, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning to you. I'm very well, and uh, thanks for the legendary, but legendary and old would probably be appropriate. Ah, no, no, you're as young as you feel, right? (laughs) I'll I'll take you on that one. Thank you. Um, Here, listen, no one's listening listening live right now. Is this fight going to happen or not? What do you think? (laughs) Listen, I'm very very cynical about boxing and uh, some of the comments made by everybody, and I, I think it's extremely unlikely because of the personalities involved, uh, the egos involved, etc. I'm sure it'll happen one day, but, you know, I'm not involved in the negotiations. Let me say that straight away. My son looked after boxing. I'm supposed to be retired. I'm, I'm not really good at it, so I'm still sticking my nose in on occasions. But for the moment, I think we can only sit and hope. Uh, but I, I can't see it happening this December. We're in October already, and the camp's should have started already if they were if they were both serious are you cynical about the fact that fury just likes to keep this on the line and it's a great it's a great carrot and it puts him in the media i mean look the the fact of life is anthony joshua getting a fight with tyson fury is a good result for anthony joshua he's just coming off another loss you know, uh, is, where is he up in his career? He had a meltdown at the press conference, psychologically, mentally. If I was looking at I would want to fight Anthony Joshua now before he gets back to his, the normal Anthony Joshua, so to speak. Um, Fury seems, I don't know, he's, he's so difficult to work out because one minute he's retired and everyone's a dosser. Uh, the second minute he, he will come back for £500 million. Um, the third time he says I want to fight but it has to be for free and then he says I want to fight Anthony Joshua in December so you know it's almost take your pick with Fury it, it looks a little bit like I've, I haven't been in the papers this week so uh, maybe I'd like to say something that'll get me a headline I may be being cynical I want to see the fight I know Joshua wants it because hey 60 40 to Fury is a good deal for Joshua in the current market uh, that may change in, in, t- in times ahead, but the one thing I know is that, you know, rather than, what else is Anthony Joshua going to do? You know, 
he's going to box. If he's going to box on, he's got to fight Tyson Fury one day. But to, but to fight Tyson Fury, it means Tyson Fury's got to be serious. I think they've sent a contract. I know our matchroom boys have gone back with comments on that contract. And we haven't heard anything else. And the contract they sent, I think, was pretty unacceptable, as you'd expect. So it's a long way off yet. Who has more to lose here, Barry? Because, I, I mean, Tyson Fury is, is for most people and, and pugilists out there. He's the favourite, no doubt, heading into the fight yeah, if it does happen. But who has more to lose? I think that I think Tyson Fury's got more to lose because he's got the belts and Anthony Joshua hasn't. Uh, a defeat by, by Tyson Fury would definitely take Anthony Joshua closer to retirement. So he's got a whole career to lose. Why it's such a fascinating fight is because they've both got a lot on the line. And, and look, Tyson Fury is the favourite, no question. Anthony Joshua has lost, what, three of his last five. He's in a no-lose position in Barrett. He's still 33. He's a young man. He's made a shed load of money. Does he really want to get hit in the face for the rest of his life? I don't know. Fighters are strange people. They're, they're not like you and I. We, we couldn't do their job in a million years, so... It makes me ease up on them and not be too critical because of the pressure they go through. I think they've both got a lot to lose. I think Tyson Fury marginally has got more to lose because he's the one holding the belts. I, I, I buy that, right? The only thing I'd say is that from Fury's perspective, he there, okay, he could fight Usyk and that would be a, a great defining moment for heavyweight boxing. But there can't be that many other fights that Tyson Fury is very excited about at this stage of his career, given everything he's achieved. Well, it depends on your perspective of life. and you know, we're, we're, we're fans, aren't we? So we want to see unified. We're like football fans. We don't care how much the money... How much money the club spends, they could be bankrupt as long as we win something. So fight fans are similar. We want to see any fight. We want to see the fight and we want to see it now because we're the fans. But they don't make the decisions. The fighters and their advisors make the decisions. They get turned on by a lot of things. Bells is one. Uh, money is right up there. Try not to forget about money. It's actually what boxing's all about. So... Whether he's fighting Tyson Fury or Alexander Usyk, uh, Joshua is looking at how much money is he going to make in the same way as Tyson Fury was to maximise his earnings. So there are lots of great opponents out there. Joe Joyce had a great win uh, the other day. I mean, I thought against the New Zealand Joe Park. You know, there's obviously Dubois is another one. There's a couple of American heavyweights coming through. So. You're always going to find talent that wants the challenge for one of the greatest prizes in sport, which is the heavyweight title. Yes, the big fights, they are what they are. It's Usyk who is absolutely... It's, I'm, I'm, I can't believe how good Usyk is. He's an amazing fighter. You've got Tyson Fury, who's so difficult to hit, it's not true. And he's a real good boxing brain. You've got Anthony Joshua, who punches harder than anyone else in the division by some by, by some far but you've got to throw punches and land them to make that count. Yeah, but you've still got lots of other people to put in the mix. Billion White's out there. Goodness me, Chisora's still there knocking on the door. So we're going to be entertained royally coming over, but I'm not sure what all of the fights are going to cover. This, this gamesmanship, Barry, and dancing around contracts, like, it, 
it annoys a lot of people, but it's also entertaining in some aspects to watch. Is it as bad now as it has ever been, or back in the back in the eighties and nineties in, in the boxing world was was it think, equally as bad? Oh, I think I think it's much worse today than it was in my day. I mean, in my day there was yeah, if we look at Ben Eubank and things like that, there was genuine hate, and it was a real proper on the street fight. And the contract was the contract because the real thing they want to do is get in and knock knock each other's head off. Today is much, is much more of a business today. There's, I mean, I don't know how many advisors all these fighters have got, but there's lots and lots of them charging them enormous fees. So we've got to get used to it. I mean, that's, that's a way of life. The devil is in the detail, as they say, and sometimes you don't get past the detail to meet the devil. That's the key, isn't it? Uh, the advisors are all getting paid. The lawyers have to get their money. The accountants, the financial advisors... Everybody gets paid, including the tax man, by the way, and the government, and, you know. And, of course, these people are not... These guys are not earning, you know, five grand, ten grand, twenty grand, hundred grand. You know, they're all millions. Put that in your head, you know. They're all millions. And they make a mistake or someone doesn't get that one clause in the contract that the fighter wants, they're out. You know, so it, it's, there's pressure at every level, you know. So I, I understand... Sport has changed in your lifetime. Sport has changed enormously in my lifetime. I'm sure. It's much more money-orientated than it's ever been. And, you know, in the old days, the fighters didn't... You know, they wandered in, they signed a contract, they walked... You know, today they've got proper advice, and in a dangerous sport, I welcome that, you know? I yeah. think it's good that they're getting that type of money. But it doesn't come without a price. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And, the, you know, we, we're having to... We want the very best entertainment we can see. We're, as a fan, we're very picky. We've changed. We're not a soft touch anymore. We've got an opinion. <laughs> so the whole world's changed. So don't blame fighters. Don't blame fans. Just get on with it and say, this is what the world looks like. And hopefully one day we will see everything we want to see. And the good news is, at the end of the day, money does talk. One one uh, question about the weekend. Um, the the Ben Eubank thing where did the idea for that fight come from was that always <laughs> it came 32 years ago when I saw one of the greatest fights I've ever seen which was Ben Eubank won and then it came again three years afterwards when they got together at Old Trafford and it was a draw and then all I could think about for 30 years was what's it going to be like when we do Ben Eubank 3 but again for one reason or the other as we've already said some fights don't happen. And Ben Eubank 3 didn't happen. And all of a sudden, it's been dished up in the most marvellous form of two great young men. And this fight could be the same type of classic as Ben Eubank 1, and I can't wait for Saturday. Why did the third one not happen? Well, again, advisors, as you like. Uh, Eubank stayed with me, and we eventually moved from ITV to Sky. And Nigel Ben went with Don King. And Frank Warren, and that was the end of that. So, I, sorry, Barry, I remember you telling me, that, or sorry, it could have been in your book, in fact, where I read where you, that the first time you met Chris Eubank, wasn't it the, the sheer confidence of him walking into an office or something something along those lines? It was at the Snooker World Championships, and I was, at the, I was in Sheffield, and he, he asked to meet me. He was a young, you know, young pro, had, had, a, had eight fights, eight wins, and... Uh, walked into the Grosvenor House and he said, good morning, Mr. Hearn. My name is Christopher Livingston Eubank. I'm an athlete and I know my worth. And I thought, I love this guy. 
that's brilliant. <laughs> and that's how we got together, really. Are you surprised by the by Chris Senior's uh, objection? I think the latest um, in terms of his opinion of this fight this weekend is calling for a boycott. I know uh, Chris yeah, Junior and Ben Junior different weight classes. Is, it, is that something that yeah, surprises you? Not really. I mean, Eubank is a deep thinker. I mean, sometimes an eccentric thinker, and sometimes he works on a, he works on different rules than most of us. You know. He's, he likes to be the boss in his house, but his son is 33 years old and he wants this fight and he wants to earn a great deal of money as well. I understand that. And, and also, Eubank Jr. is the favourite. Um, he's a much bigger man. But, but Chris, you can understand, you know, he was involved in a tragedy fight with Michael Watson, uh, which resulted in Michael getting terrible injuries. And because this is a, a weight that suits Conor Ben rather than, than Chris Eubank Jr., He's naturally concerned for his son. I, I can understand that. I think it's a concern a lot of parents would have. Barry, is this is this one of the other big changes in boxing? Um, I, maybe maybe this was the case where you could have these fights at, at make weights that really captured the public's imagination, but that wasn't mm-hmm. connected directly to a belt. Yeah, I think belts. To be honest, with you, maybe I'm getting old. I think belts are losing significance. Really, I think punters want to see the fight they want to see and the fact that he's dead someone's draped around with jewellery that, that each piece of jewellery costs a huge sanction fee to a body that I'm not sure they do anything I think sometimes makes me feel it's a bit of a waste of money I'm interested in the fight uh, and quite honestly you know this this fight that Saturday uh, if it was for a belt we wouldn't see the fight because they wouldn't you know, there would be weight restrictions for a fight. You know, they, they couldn't happen. So this is an example where we're seeing a fight that the public have demanded and want to see and sold out in about a, a minute. Um, we're seeing it without a belt being on the line. And that's an interesting one for me, as whether that's the beginning of a, a new wave of boxing where you match personalities rather than weights. We, we've been kind of, uh, Barry, going back and forth in this country waiting for a... A Katie Taylor fight in Dublin, in, in Croke Park, the National oh. Stadium. And, and I know that's something that, that she has high up on her agenda and for different reasons it hasn't happened here as of yet. But uh, can you can you foresee that happening at some point in the future, that Katie might get her, her oh, long-awaited fight over I, here? I can't tell you how much I'd love to see that. It is impossible. I mean, Katie Taylor is an athlete where the whole country is and should be, quite rightly, very proud of her. She's a very, very special person and deserves... That homecoming fight. I mean, it, look, she's still fit, strong, keen as mustard, tough as teak. But there's going to come a time, and I don't want that time to come before she's had her Croker Park homecoming with the memories that that will create for generations. So, yes, I would love to see that. Was, was the main reason that it didn't happen because you couldn't really run boxing in Ireland? Um, just a uh, but that that it seems to have changed now that um, you yeah know. I know there's no reason why not to do the fight I mean there was a time when boxing wasn't looked in the same spirit in Ireland today it is there's no problems with that at all and we had no problems going to Ireland at all it's the right fight and the right you know you you need a showcase fight and the amount I think had Amanda Serrano agreed to the rematch the reason she didn't agree to the rematch was she didn't want it in Croker Park. Which I, which I found bizarre because it, it would be a phenomenal atmosphere for both girls. But that may come round again. And when it does, 
I'm getting me ticket. You, you, you've seen a lot of fighters come and go, Barry, over, over, the, over the decades, but where, where, does, where does Katie rank in terms of the, the, the fighters you've seen? Well, mm. in terms of the fighters I've seen, she's obviously the best woman fighter I've ever seen in my life by country mile. Uh, I don't consider her a woman fighter. I consider her a fighter because that's what she set out to achieve. In terms of a person, the only thing I could say is if I had another daughter, I would wish it was Katie Taylor. Good stuff. Who's going to win the uh, Ben Eubank fight at the weekend, Barry? Tough call. I'm really sitting on the fence on this. Early doors, Eubank's big favourite. If it goes past six rounds, Connor comes into it, I think. So, oh, toss of a coin. It's the old days, mate. It's, the, it's Eubank, Ben 3. Don't miss it. Hey, can I just ask you one, Barry, before, before I let you go? Um, there was a little bit of controversy in the snooker world last month. I think Ronnie O'Sullivan brought, brought the issue up, and it's kind of come to the fore with the, uh, the, the mixed doubles um, happening of late as well. Ronnie was talking about taking 5% off the prize money and, and giving the, the female players a good opportunity to play in, in good conditions. I think Joe Trump bounced back and said Ronnie should put his money where his mouth is. Uh, what, what's your take <laughs> on that in terms of evening, levelling the, the, the playing scale and the pay scale, I guess, in terms of the gender divide in snooker? Very straightforward. Snooker is a gender-neutral game. The women play for the same prize money as the men, and they take their chances the same as the men. Anything less than that is patronising towards women, right? Now, the amateur game, the governing body, the, the, by all means, they can do whatever they want to give these girls some more events or whatever. That doesn't come under the current professional game remit. Um, the World Championships is not part of World Snooker. It's part of the WPBSA, which is the, which is the governing body of the game. They can do what they like and they can help the women as much as they can. But in sport, as in life, it's a meritocracy. You've got to play to the highest level. You've got to take your chances on a level playing field. If you want to be treated with respect and on equal terms, then you've got to be playing on the level playing field. No, no advantages for anybody, you know. Uh, and something which I would like to see the grassroots get more involved with helping all sports, men and women, you know, the great thing about sport is is, 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 is is diversity, and we wouldn't want to change that. But at the same time, you can't be patronising and just pick out a section of sport and give that special treatment. Sorry, Barry, just before we finish up, it just struck me there when you're talking about uh, the Ben Eubank fight and trying to set all that up decades ago. Like, um, Kind of a bit of a back and forth between, between your son Eddie and, and Bob Arum over recent weeks, understandably, when they're trying to get the, the I's dotted and the T's crossed. But uh, some similarities, I guess, between yourself and Don King's relationship back in the day? Yeah, well, listen, it's a, sports are soap opera, isn't it? I mean, where would we be without the characters, you know? Eddie Heard, my son, who I'm obviously, as a father, I'm very proud of him. I would say he's probably, what, third third or fourth biggest personality in the world of boxing, and he's never put, you know, he's never had a professional fight in his life. It's all about characters, all about personalities. Eddie's a personality and a character. Bob Aaron, bless him, he's 91. The man's a legend. I mean, I'm 74. You know, I have a, I have a bit of a struggle getting up in the morning sometimes, you know? So hats off to everybody. Sit back and be entertained. Don't take it all too seriously. Don't get personal about it. Just enjoy the fact that we're watching sport at the highest level. We have to put up with some rubbish to get there, but we'll get there in the end. Barry, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Pleasure, boy. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Said Barry Hearn there. Giving us some thoughts on the, the world of boxing. Oh, it was interesting. Kitty Taylor as his, the daughter he never had. There you go. Mm. <clears throat> You'd love to see the Katie Taylor Crow Park fight. I mean, that's the 
she's spoken about it all the time I think after her fights now at 21, 22 professional fights and kind of now and ever isn't it yeah that's her that's, that would just put the, the it would cap her career really wouldn't it that's that's the that's the peak of your career. Obviously, winning London 2012 gold medal, uh, having a unblemished professional record is up there. But fighting in Croke Park in front yeah, of yeah, look, headline in MSG and um, and winning all the money because it's a job and it's, mm. uh, that's a, that, the boxes. Like uh, if if everybody in Ireland could like buy a ticket to help her, I think everybody would. So. <laughs> Uh, right, OTB AM brought to you live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio today. OTB Gold at 1 o'clock is Nigel Mansell. There's a dad cast from 3. A career retrospective is Packy Bonner at 4. And OTB Gold, speaking of boxing, is Ray Boom Boom Mancini from 6. You can follow OTB across our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in latest sports content. We're back after these with the sports pages and the sports news from Calv. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, Emma, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. Back page of the uh, Irish Independent this morning, and they're leading with Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, might be leaving Manchester United in January. What a surprise. Uh, it says Manchester United are ready to let him go if anybody will just offer them a handful of magic beans. Uh, Stockdale is now a doubt for the autumn series with ankle injury. This is devastating news for Jacob Stockdale, the other ankle that he... Um, so he was out for a year with an injured ankle, and the other ankle is now... Um, injured against Leinster last Friday fingers crossed it's not as serious uh, clubs must be made accountable to protect referees this is Morris Deegan uh, talking about the fact that you've got to hold the clubs and the county boards accountable but it's the clubs who need to be punished as well as the individuals uh, front page of the examiner watch your house Klopp admits leaky Liverpool may need to change defensive approach Kieran Channon has a great piece about Brian Mullen's influence beyond Dublin he says that um he did an interview with Larry Tompkins 10 years ago where Tompkins said that Mullins was the player who influenced him the most. <clears throat> they played together in the 1985 um, Railway Cup team. Mullins hadn't been picked. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> My goodness. Uh, Mullins hadn't been picked. Um, Bobby Miller. Bobby Miller was the coach. Yeah, well, it, it, the amount of players that have been inspired by uh, Brian Mullins, uh, th- this is what makes me sad as well. It only comes out when, when someone dies. Yeah. It's like, well, most of the stories only come out when someone dies. You're like, Jesus, he was he was a towering figure back in the day. And obviously, I said, I've said it before, he was before my time in terms of playing, but when you watch videos back and you see the sheer breadth of his shoulders was the thing that stood out for me. And, and look, his uh, feeling in the air was unbelievable as well. But but uh, Larry Tompkins was obviously a massive fan. Yeah, was, uh, specifically what happened was uh, Tompkins was obviously with Kildare because he's from Kildare. Mm. Did everybody know that Larry Tompkins played for Kildare before <laughs> he won the All-Irelands for, for a cork? Did everybody know that? Did, did, is that part of the story? Anyway, um, uh, Mullins didn't get picked by Bobby Miller and they organised a friendly against Dublin, mm. a challenge to get ready and uh, Mullins <laughs> was absolutely outstanding. So Bobby Miller says... Um, would you mind uh, coming and playing for us and he's like yeah if, if you make me captain <laughs> right if you make me captain because he hadn't won one and he really wanted to win one so he came in and like in training was like bawling everybody out of it and before the final he went around in the Ashing Hotel and told everybody what their job was and to Tompkins it was kick the ball over the bar I'll do all the ploughing for you you kick it over the bar Jesus. and then they won but there was also a bit of uh, don't worry about Jack O'Shea I'll take care of him and lo and behold he did uh, ends up man of the match and his first Railway Cup medal in his uh, in the last ever Railway Cup match played in Croker anyway um, uh, later that evening Tompkins was sitting beside Jack Boothman at a victory banquet when Mullins came over to them and plonked the cup on the table 
I don't want to rub it in your faces, but you don't win too many of these. Take it away. And Tompkins <laughs> did. To, um, so. And then, and obviously, you know, Larry went on to win plenty in his life. Just He did all right. Just not with the right team. Yeah, yeah, in the red as opposed to the white. Uh, yeah, just what, what an impact he had on the game, Brian Mullins. And and his, his son, Nathan, who obviously, of course, went on to play for Tony Gall, wrote a lovely um, piece on, on social media as well, uh, paying tribute to his dad and the impact that he had in his own life. So that was really emotional to read that. But um, yeah, what a man Brian Mullins was. Uh, it's fight night is the back of the Daily Mail Klopp is wary of Euro threat from Rangers Leicester beat Nottingham Forest we didn't even talk about this last night uh, the, the tendency is that the sacking happens just after we're off air so uh, if the Nottingham Watch Forest manager Steve Cooper can just make it to 11 o'clock today he should be grand <laughs> uh, New Ireland blow as Zoo is ruled out of playoff we already talked about the um, Jess Zoo not being in the team because of injury and just really hoping that it's not a significant knee injury can we fix it yes we can it's the back of the Daily Star and it's uh, Klopp the builder Klopp will build Klopp back up uh, Geo Jers can defy the odds as Giovanni Van Bronckhorst and Donahue slams Rosy rumours who are Irish Manchester United fans supporting tonight probably Liverpool uh, hardly be on the fence I uh, know I mean no, you might be on the fence not really you want Rangers to beat Liverpool but I think a lot of the Irish United fans would want Liverpool to beat Rangers no, I think there was a split there. I think there was a divide. Myself, and my mates were talking about this, and the United mates, and, and they're all uh, kind of down the middle. Some, some saying, "Oh yeah, you don't want Liverpool to win," and some saying, "Well, you, you don't want Rangers necessarily to win either." So, ah, you want Rangers to win, but not go through in the group. It's like right, that's yeah, the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, everyone's a winner then. Carl Milani's with us. Carl, how are you? Good morning, lads. How's it going? Can you weigh in on the who do you want? Um, who do you, what's football team do you? Are you allowed to tell us? Oh. Are, you, are you Liverpool? Okay. So I want Liverpool to win. <laughs> it was an easy decision. Yeah. Phil Egan outside kind of agreed with me. He said, "Yeah, a lot of United fans he knows would be would be on the on the uh, Liverpool bandwagon tonight. Maybe you just don't watch it. Just a draw. Stay. Yeah, just a draw. Yeah, it's one of those. <clears throat> It'll be a decent game. Liverpool uh, have yeah. a lot to prove. Liverpool are under a bit of pressure. Yeah, all um, of a sudden, Rangers were good at the weekend by all accounts against Hearts to beat them four 0 So uh, they've got to get something tonight as well, don't mm. they? Do we want a title race? It's just not going to happen, though. Unfortunately, in the Premier League, mm-hmm. Alan's going to ruin all of our all of our um, March, April, and Mays. We're, we're used to kind of building up and, and waiting for the last few games of the season, but I, th- I feel like unless Arsenal can push on, which feels unlikely, they're always going to do an Arsenal. Then it's going to be the, the the typical end of a season. Back page of the Mirror. Don't be blue. None. Jurgen Klopp and his right hand man Pep Linders have had private talks with Darwin Nunez because he's struggling at the moment. Do you get the, the reference? He's getting compared compared to Andy Carroll, isn't he? Do you don't get be, no, don't be, Oh, sorry, the he, is in the headline. Don't be blue, none. Do you blue, get the none. reference? You do? Uh, no, actually. No. Blue as in... Blue, none. Oh, no, no, I thought he was like sad or something. No, though, obviously blue is in reference to Rangers, <laughs> but what is, it, what is the actual deeper meaning? Blue, here? none. You've never heard of blue, none? No. It's um, cheap cheap white wine. Ah, ah there you go. Let's see, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, let's just check this up. Uh... Alan Partridge's favourite I'm reliably informed right right. the mark of sophistication uh, a German white wine that obviously for, was one of the two wines you could get in Ireland in the 80s and obviously in England um, so I'm a stout man Jer so the, the reference would have gone way over my head um, you would have seen it in the supermarkets no? Uh, Colm's asked me in my ears I watch Partridge I, I, I wouldn't have been one of those religious Partridge watchers Liebfamilie clips yeah the clips are good yeah yeah the clips are good the clips yeah. stand the test of time yeah um, Blue Nun, sorry, Jerry. No, I totally didn't get the reference. 
It's, I, I thought it was going to be a reference that aged myself and, and Cal as, as perhaps a generation below you, but uh, no, it was just an alcohol reference. So yeah, there you we're go. all okay. Uh, noisy neighbours, United halftime rants, Rock Eddie had a furious halftime rant from Bruno Fernandez and Lissandro Martinez at the Manchester Derby. It was so loud it could be heard down the corridor. Men, well, that's what you Men hope. at halftime shouting in a dressing room. It's uh, it's very bad. Who, who does that? Yeah. They worked. They got three goals in the second half. Yeah, they That's won true. the second half, you know. There you go. Uh, what a result. Mm. Uh, what's going on in the world, Carl? Well, you mentioned Leicester. Uh, they're off the bottom of the Premier League table. They're impressive last night. 4-0 winners over Nottingham Forest at the King Power Stadium. James Madison on target twice. Uh, here at home, very exciting game in the SSE Eritrea League Premier Division last night. St. Pat's and Shelburne playing out a 4 all draw at Talca Park. Sean Boyd on target twice. Rochelle's own Doyle scored twice from the penalty spot uh, for the visitors. In the first division, Waterford uh, continued their hunt for second place in the second tier. They beat Longford Town by two goals to one at Bishopsgate. This evening in the Champions League, it's Liverpool against Rangers in Group A. Uh, Tottenham in action against Eintracht Frankfurt in Germany. Both of those games underway uh, from 8 o'clock. Tottenham in Group D. Uh, Shamrock Rovers' youth side will build to put off a big comeback in their UEFA Youth League tie with AZ later. They trail by five goals to nil ahead of the second leg, which takes place at Tallaght Stadium from a quarter to eight. The Republic of Ireland under-19s are in action in the Women's Euro qualifying this afternoon. They take on Poland from one o'clock. In darts, Daryl Gurney in first-round action at the World Grand Prix later this evening. He takes on the former world champion Rob Cross and there's racing at Galway this afternoon where the first goals post at a quarter past one. The um, Leinster press conference yesterday was, I think it was Robin McBride, and he was asked about Jason Jenkins, who has been a hit uh, in terms of on the field. He has been effective. Uh, you know, still you're wondering about Ireland signing second rows and whether or not we'd be, should we give more second more time to our own second rows to but anyway notwithstanding that I thought there was a, an interesting comment in the middle of this which has uh, led to a, a minor debate here uh, from a mall point of view he, he, Rob McBride talks about for ages and ages and ages about all the different things that he's added to the game great from the scrum great from the mall great in the detail it's a big ask to come and learn a different language learn a different way of doing things but he's taken it in his stride and I expect him to grow even further He's come from Limerick. He's, he was playing from Munster. <laughs> What's the different language? I mean, that's proper shade. Finally, in the Leinster Munster rivalry, where they're like, "Ah, you speak a different language down there." <laughs> is that is that what he is that what he's referring to? Like some of us were thinking, maybe he's referring to the the language of rugby. I mean, is the language yes. of rugby from the forward pack in in Munster? That's different from the forward pack in Leinster. If it is, I mean, this is uh, Leinster playing Jess and Munster. <laughs> Once they're playing reversing it backgammon, be, it has to be rugby language, doesn't it? It has to be. Surely, I'd like to think so. Because um, his English seems pretty good. <laughs> but um, yeah, like it's 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 one of those things. Maybe it was meant as a sly little dig towards towards Munster or Limerick people. Limerick people get in touch. Were you yeah, offended? Are, are, are people feeling a bit uh, sensitive about that? Um, Joel. Uh, Joel K20 says the rules in hurling and football are hard for referees to referee also most on the sideline don't understand some of the rules thus the attack on referees I think that um, I don't buy that not knowing the rules is the reason for the attack on referees I think um, people who are prone to anger outbursts are using that as an excuse to uh, be angry in the direction of referees and to take it out on them um, I don't know, Carl, you, you've uh, involved in GA at a high level. Um, what uh, what level of... What do you think could be done to help 
secure respect towards referees? Um, well, I don't, definitely don't play to a high level. But uh, well, you play senior club. I think. Um, I think the culture probably around the whole thing right from underage up, I think that's where the, the work probably needs to start. And I think anybody that's involved, and Jared, the vast majority of people that's involved are probably guilty of uh, questioning a referee's decision at some point or other in their career. And uh, there probably is a culture of it that has built up over the years. So probably starting, you know, you could definitely implement stuff at under eights, under tens level that kind of could embed themselves from that age onwards and, and it kind of becomes second nature to players and mentors alike. I know like for example at the under 8s and 10s silent sidelines is one thing mm. that they've tried to implement in various counties and uh, putting up signage at grounds and stuff like that but it's it's got to start there I think but I think it's uh, incumbent on everybody now that's involved in GA whatever level you're at to kind of start thinking about this a little bit more and the referee situation is becoming very very difficult in a lot of counties where referees simply won't be available to referee uh, would matches you, would you would you think about becoming a referee that was one of the things that you know Mark was talking about so, no. former uh, players being like uh, fast tracked to, to referee big games would you ever consider it I don't think so Not no. I hope no. the referees are seeing this and, and I've seen it happen in, in, state, in um, grounds and even in my home county like referees when they make a bad decision in front of a full stand are almost treated as subhuman um, like some of the abuse that's hurled is gets very personal very quickly, uh, and and then the physical stuff that we've seen in recent weeks is just the the the, the scary thing about it is it's it wasn't that surprising like when we saw the first ones coming out in Roscommon and and other counties drip you know different incidents drip feeding through wasn't that surprising really because we've all probably seen incidents where either physical contact or near physical con- physical contact were, was made with referees at matches. Um, you know when 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 there's a lot at stake and people let their 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 mood and anger get the best of them. But yeah, that that'd be my concern that it's it's not that surprising and that, that Jesus, not a hope would you be a referee? Why would you Why would you put yourself under yeah. that strain? I think referees would make the point as well. Obviously, the, the PR around it recently has been very negative, and you know, rightly so. It should be highlighted, and it's dreadful. But referees probably would also make the point that there are lots of opportunities if you do get involved in it um, in terms of progression from club level to county level, and some great experiences when you do get to county level opportunities to referee in Crow Park at big games, uh, provincial finals, stuff like that. Uh, foreign travel can be involved in it as well. Um, so there are a lot of positives, but obviously the negative stuff has taken over in recent weeks, and we really do have to address that. And um, it's so unfortunate to see all this stuff, and so difficult for the referees involved and the clubs involved. Um, I think micing them up at, at a senior end county level would very, very quickly expose. Uh, a, uh, sorry, would very, very quickly bring up a new relationship between players, where there, there's a quick explain of what happened. And everybody at home will go, oh, that's the rule. I understand it better now because yeah. they've been told what it is. Like it would, it would definitely help from an education perspective. That's the top down. The bottom up, as you're saying, is grassroots. I think it was a great idea that Miel Martin had for like, here's a box. You must stay in your box. If you're a mentor, you can stay in that box and that's it at all levels and not just the, the big games at um, senior and county level. And I'm, I'm going to book you or send you off if you're outside that box twice. Off you go. Even the whole idea of, of the referee speaking to only the captains as a, as a conduit, that, that seems to be a given in rugby. It's it's a, even in Sunday League soccer, that's starting to become you, a thing. You though, can't do that and get it because like, what if the goalkeeper is, if Cluxon's your, your captain and the right corner forward is the one who's, who's doing stuff, you know, it's like, oh, stop the whole game, go down. Do you know what I mean? I think it's serious enough though. 
you have to maybe 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 and certainly there's, there's definitely things that you can do and then and then what happens is that the the outliers of um any of the, the psychopaths involved in an incident at the club like they become exposed and they they very quickly become hopefully policed but the clubs do have to take responsibility for this too. Anyway, it's a, a tangled issue. One last thing. Uh, several murals of Jurgen Klopp have been vandalised. People are throwing paint over them. James Pierce of The Athletic has just posted another one this morning. This is now becoming a pattern. The one thing I notice is it's blue paint. Mm. Does, that, does that matter? Of course it matters. Of course does it, it matters. Does it matter? Well, if it, if it wasn't blue paint, you'd be thinking, this is, are these angry Liverpool fans who are very quick to... Um, to bounce on the man that's that's given them so much joy over the last number of years it has to be Everton fans right 9.32 this morning good stuff Carl thanks for that uh, we will be back tomorrow we'll be joined by the Anfield Raps Harriet Pryor on Liverpool Rangers tonight in the Champions League Ronald Kelly will be on the line to talk about the Irish Parkinson's golf team and the former Premier League winner Matt Jarvis will tell us why you had to be there plus much more as well OTB AM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.